This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. Oh, we made it. Another week. Ah. Top of the morning to you, Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. And it is Friday, the day we celebrate, you know, the week we succeeded. It's the day we get ready for Saturday, football, and then we prepare for the Sabbath. It's kind of sad, though. What? what? It's like the last official weekend of college football. I know, this is sad. Then it turns into the bowls and all that And the that bowls stuff, are but, weird. It's yeah. a weird time. So you have a bunch of title games tomorrow, mm. which, you know, if you don't really have a team in the fight, it's kind of, yeah, it's fun. They're fun to watch. But. They're fun. And it's also fun to see. I love to see like top 10 teams lose. Yeah. Is that bad? No. I mean, you want to see that as you get the top guys knocked off, it gives other people's, op- other uh, yeah. teams opportunities. It kind of messes up the system, which is kind of fun. I prefer the underdog and I love to mess up the system. Yeah. Gum it up. Just disrupt it. Hey, today we got a great topic. A guest we're going to be talking uh, with Dr. L. Edward Day about what Americans fear most. And <laughs> it's a very interesting study. It's a very interesting study because with all the terrorism news, you'd think, and we are, people are becoming neurotic about what's going on and more fearful. And then the whole prayer shaming thing, that went crazy. Was it the Post that Post – not the Post. It was the Daily – I think it was Daily News. Daily News in New York, uh, you know, dissing, I guess, the vain prayers of everyone that says our prayers are with the people in San Bernardino. Yeah. You shouldn't be praying. where Your God's not fixing this. So instead, let's have our politicians do it because all the politicians are saying we need to make a change. Well – some. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. No, someone want Yeah. The yeah. Democrats are saying we got to change the Democrats, gun control. The way it works, the Democrats come out and say we need change. And to almost to a, a, a person, the Republicans come out and say prayers with the but, victims. But, but can't you say a prayer and still believe in change? Correct. Can't, can't you say our prayers are with you? But I don't think the, the, the point of that cover was that they don't believe – that those that are saying prayers have any desire to change. Right. They're just going to pray every time instead of trying to enact change. Here's what I think is going on. Those that are saying, those that are invoking God are talking to their base. Absolutely. That believe and pray to God. Some of them are running for office. And those that aren't mentioning the God thing are talking to their base. They're also running for office. That want to stop guns. Yes. So it's all political. It's all political. Yeah. But I would just not start messing with people's God. Yeah, that's probably the safe bet. Just stay away from that. I mean, yeah, even if you don't believe. You can go after people for whatever, yeah. but you start getting into religion yeah. and people. Don't mess with their God. Yeah. Or they're going to hold tighter to their guns. But who's the, that newspaper, New York, I think it was the Daily News. <laughs> Who are they talking to? To the godless followers of the Daily News. In New York. Right. Isn't I mean, it interesting? It's, it's sort of a... It's a paper with national reach, but really focused right. on New York. So so we don't need to be offended by it. It's just at some point you can still say our prayers are with you and 
we got to do something. But this gets back to our fears because one of the things they're finding out is a lot of times when you have fears, you you act in weird ways like gun sales have been going up as our fears have been going up. Record-breaking background checks on Black Friday right. is what we learned. Isn't that crazy? And yet guns are part of the problem and we're afraid. And are you afraid of ghosts? Because we'll get into that too. If I saw one, I'd have to – Ben's totally afraid of ghosts. If it was Slimer from like Ghostbusters, <laughs> I don't know because I saw him on the screen. Ah, ah, Slimer's I, cute. I, I played mean, with the toys when I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, it's Slimer. Until you get slimed. Yeah, then it's kind of gross, but yeah. it's not really scary. No. We'll be talking about fears. Uh, in fact, I did a little survey with one of our producers, Keyshawn. Yeah, Keyshawn. A.K.A. Kaylee. I think that's her name. You called her Kia Ultima? or Kia Ultima. Optima. 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 Yeah. Okay. I can never remember her name. Yeah. It, you know, you, you. I think you've settled. It's K something. I know it starts with a K. Yeah. Kumquat. I've called her everything. Quinoa. Quinoa. Which might be a Q, a Q. But still. Guess what her number one fear is? I hope she's okay with me sharing these. But she did write them down. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, Willy Wonka. I'd be afraid of Willy Wonka, too. He's a little scary. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, she's also afraid of butterflies. Hmm. The dark. Okay. Fire. Yeah. And ledges. <laughs> the weirdest thing, by the way, yesterday, I happened to have found pictures of every one of those things. And you sent them to her? Throughout the day, I'd send her a picture. Like I sent her a picture of Willy Wonka saying, you don't need to fear. <laughs> so is she afraid of like Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp? Both. Really? Okay. I tested that. <laughs> well, I've tested one of them and she freaked. She's a, she's like afraid of Willy Wonka, like terrified. And You're a monster. I know. And then I I found weird. It was just weird. All the pictures I would just find. Like when you do a search in Google, like butterflies. Yeah. Scary butterflies. Ooh. And then you just hit images. Scary butterfly images come up. Hmm. So I'd send her a few. Like there was one with a butterfly on a little kid's face. And she freaked. Yeah. <laughs> it made yesterday so fun for me. Helped you pass the time. Totally. I almost could remember her name. Kin- Kinwa? Your fear is Legos in the dark? Well, you know, stepping on Legos. I, it's not really Legos, but stepping on things. It's a recent fear I've developed over the last few years. Yeah. You know what? Wear some house slippers or shoes. I did for a while, but I don't know. Yeah. You, you'll outgrow that. You start walking. I so I've told you before. I try to shuffle, yeah. keep my feet firmly planted, and move them around. It causes a lot of static electricity, but yeah. you don't step on things. That, by the way, that shuffle you'll be able to use the rest of your life. Well, you know, slowly that'll be my prime mode of transportation, right? Just shuffling around. <laughs> hey, yesterday we I got to meet your wife. You did, lovely woman. I don't get it. What do you mean? Just she's fantastic. Yeah, my father's confused too. I just don't get it. He met her the first time, and he's like, you, "Do you realize who this is? She looks, what are you doing?" She looked at. She gave me that look, like, "Help!" Yeah, <laughs> I'm trapped. I'm trapped inside Terry's house. You're like, blink, blink if you're blink if you're being held hostage. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's a great person. She and puts she, up with a lot. And she got you very social. She tries. Yeah, I thought you would just like shut down and just sit there and shuffle around. Well, it was kind of loud where we were, so I was just going to yeah. fade into the noise. But 
I was a little bummed I couldn't sit right next to you guys because I wanted to just ask your wife like 20 questions. But I'm going to have her on the show soon. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I've done that before. It didn't go well. We uh, for me, it, that was it was. It's just fun to see everybody out of the office. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was we. I saw Spencer and Jerem. We had our company Christmas party. Oh, did I not say that? No. Yeah, we had our, com- our company Christmas party. It was it was it was quite exciting. Mm. What? Like what? they go? There's going to be entertainment, and I went mm, mm. entertainment. But that was great entertainment. Oh, it was great. But, you know, sometimes people say entertainment. Yeah, but yeah. Some guy comes in and juggles and, let me and you're just like, what's tell going you, on? Many, many people need to imbibe to get through a, a Christmas party. Yes. But this is BYU. Yeah, there's, there's none of that. There's no, you know, beverages like that. So, but it was fantastic. You didn't need anything like that. You just had raw fun. You, you, did, you did opt for the pink lemonade over the water, though. Did you see that? Yeah. I don't know how I did that. That it was, I think someone poured it for me. Really? Maybe my wife did because <laughs> I don't remember choosing that. Anyway, it was fantastic. We, uh, we got to sit with Sam Payne from the, the Appleseed, and then he did a reading. I'm, we're going to have him do that. Yeah. That was really good. That was interesting. He wrote, he wrote his Christmas story. It was really cool. And then performed it. And then he performed it. And he, I, I wanted to do it on our show. That will be the last thing we do before Christmas. So then I don't have to, like, say anything. I'll just right. listen to Sam do his thing. Um, anyway, great show for you today. We'll be talking about, uh, in a minute, just about what Americans fear most and really what you can do about it. Some of the latest research with Dr. L. Edward Day and the study that came out of Chapman University. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Law enforcement officials told the New York Times the FBI has evidence that Syed Farouk, one of the two shooters in the San Bernardino attack on Wednesday, had been in contact with extremists both domestically and abroad, including one person in the United States who has been under investigation for suspected terrorism. CNN reports officials say Farouk communicated by phone and social media with more than one person being investigated for terrorism. Other officials said Farouk has overseas communications and associates. Farouk traveled to Saudi Arabia last year, returned with a Pakistani wife, Tafshin Malik, who was the second shooter. The two shooters uh, killed in San, at San Bernardino had an arsenal, apparently, at their home in Redlands, California, that included a dozen bombs. The San Bernardino police said Thursday that Saeed Farouk and uh, Tafshin Malik carried 1,600 rounds of ammunition between them, placed a remote control bomb at the Inland uh, Regional Center. It was supposed to be triggered by a radio-controlled car that they had. Um, the, they fired as many as 75 rounds in the conference room. They, what, they found 4,500 rounds at their house. And apparently the police fired 380 rounds wow. into that vehicle they were sitting in. Well, yeah, they had to hit them doing that. It seems, it's I nuts. know the FBI is really slow to want to call this terrorism. Yeah. But doesn't just that much ammo, bombs, seems terroristic, whether, you know, whether... Yeah. The same time we find people in the United States with similar amounts of ammunition stored, right, but wouldn't and we call them? They're exercising their rights in some cases. Well, yeah, but they actually these people actually exercise their rights and created terror. Yeah, seems to fit the definition. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, you, you see some things in the media where people are quick to rush to the terrorism card. Others are really right. slow. Yeah, 
People are really, and hmm. I think the police are doing the correct thing yeah. by let's let the evidence Gather the data. prove what actually happened here. Both the killers were wearing black vests that held ammunition clips, but not wearing body armor, as the the uh, original reports came out on Thursday. The Senate rejected two gun control measures brought forward one day after the mass shooting in San Bernardino that killed 14 people. A proposal from Senator Joan Manchin from West Virginia to expand background checks for guns bought at gun shows and online was voted down 48 to 50, and an amendment from Senator uh, Diane Feinstein from California to prevent people f- listed on terror watch lists from buying firearms was rejected 45 to 54. Both needed 60 votes to be adopted. Hmm. So that didn't happen. Donald Trump says he, uh, well, he, t- he takes a commanding lead in the latest CNN poll. He's, uh, what, 36%. The second place is Cruz at 16, Big he's Carson. 20% ahead of everyone else. Yeah, dropped to 14 and then everyone else is I mean, that's, way it, down the he's line. increasing his lead. It's growing, yes. Incredible. He's also said he will appear on CNN. He oh, he's going to do it. He had that ransom type situation yeah. where he's like, you pay me $5 million, I'll be there. And they're like, nah, we're good. And they're like, no. And he's okay. like, okay. He says he'll participate in the next debate in Vegas. He'll do it for free. He goes, when you're leading in the polls, I think it's too big of a risk not to do the debate. So why are you buffaloing us with asking for a fee? He's filling time. He was going to give rally. the money, by the way, to, you know, veterans yes. organizations. But So he's moving on from that. And as as you have spoken of before, after a record-shattering 3.38 million selling first week, Adele's 25 is set to sell an additional million copies in the U.S. in its second week, easily wow. making history and setting a new high. Hello. Hello. Um, according to Billboard, that would make it the first album to sell a million copies in two different weeks since the Nelson Music or Nielsen Music began tracking sales data in, wow. since 91. Killing it. Hello. 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 That's all you need. That's a very breathy. Hello. That's the video. Great. That's, I, I looked I this morning. It. The video, five hundred eighty-eight million. I views. know. It's crazy. Adele. I'm telling you, she's the new Barbara Streisand. I don't know who's. <laughs> she's she's incredible. Incredible. Hello. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be speaking with Doctor L. Edward Day. He's a professor and a researcher out of Chapman University in Orange County. And what we're going to be talking about are your fears, the latest research on Americans and what they fear most. You be thinking about what you fear. If it's not Willy Wonka, what is it? You won't believe what's the top of the list. Uh, Let me give you a little hint. Uh, I'll just name a few names. Donald Trump, President Obama, Hillary Clinton, just to name a few. Number one fear. Uh... Not that these people represented fully, but uh, it's kind of scary. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Giving you the information you need to lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, being fearful is a part of everyday life, from childhood fears of the dark or the monster under the bed, or uh, to adulthood where we have fears of economic doom, terrorist attacks. We live in a world surrounded by fear. But what do Americans truly fear most? 
and how do we act based on these fears? Joining us today, uh, we have Dr. L. Edward Day, one of the researchers out of Chapman University in Orange County, California, where uh, they recently completed its second annual Chapman University Survey of American Fears. And the survey asked participants about 88 fears across a broad range of categories, and they've come up with a lot of interesting learnings. Uh, Dr. Ed Day, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you, and thanks for getting up so early. And we know that you were, yeah. you, we were going to have another one of your co-authors on that was back east, but he threw you a curveball, apparently. Yeah, he came down with the flu yesterday. Ugh. Either that or he wanted to sleep in. He was afraid. I have a feeling, Ed, he was afraid. <laughs> this is great, no, but I'm glad to have you. And and especially because this study, really, it's it's perfect timing for us because terrorist attacks, major fears. The government's ability to protect us could be causing fears. In your study, though, you went through and identified the top 10 fears that Americans uh, that, that, that we're suffering with. What are those top 10 fears? Yeah, the, uh, what surprised us was, was uh, in the second wave that corruption of government officials ranked as the top fear uh, wow. with, with more than half. And it was the only one where more than half of uh, uh, the population said that they were it was something they were afraid of. Interesting. Um, is, I mean, yeah, is that I mean, a is that a big deal? I mean, I mean, because well, we are in a political you know era and all of a sudden right. everyone's talking politics, but. But to have our number one fear be corruption of government officials seems, wow, out there. Yeah, I think so, too. That one, that one really caught us off guard. Uh, um, I, it, it, well, in the long run, I think it, it, it would be a danger for our society. Yeah, absolutely. We have to believe in our system. Uh, yeah. We have to believe in our system for it to work. Uh, I think it is, though, also inflated um, – by the fact that we are in a political season. And yeah. not only in a political season, we're in one where everybody is running against the government. And so the big, you know, on the news every night, we hear uh, people who want to be our leaders talking about how crummy our government right. system is. And, uh, uh, yeah, that is having an effect. Isn't that and interesting? Because that, that's why, I mean, really, that shows you really maybe how accurate this survey is because you're, it, it's, it's very much time to what's going on in the news. Yeah, yeah, very much. And, and and we expect now, now that this has popped up here, it will probably stay as the top fear until we're through the entire election mm. cycle. So on that one, we're really excited to look maybe two or three years down the road. And I'll be less concerned with that once the presidential election is over. That's interesting, because I guess that does. That tells us how we try to get people elected is fear mongering, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, that, that that certainly seems to be the way we're going this time. Around. Yeah, for sure. And And cyber terrorism was number two. Cyber terrorism was number two, and, and followed uh, very closely by uh, corporate tracking of personal information. So mm. the, the the cyber and and the whole digital world that we're living in now, people are people are concerned about that. Wow! So gov- government and then cyber fears; those kind of are the top three or four. And then we finally get to terrorist attacks. At number four, yes, which is. It ranks right in there. I mean, it's uh, 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 between terrorist attacks and cyber terrorism. It's all between, say, 44 and 45 percent of the population. So hmm. Very close. Wow. And then following right after that is the government tracking of personal information. Back so to kind again, of the cyber uh, info. Yeah. 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 Three of the top five are related to uh, uh, um, our privacy or security online as opposed to in real life. Hmm. 
and and then it's then you get into bio warfare, which is I uh-huh. guess kind of back to terrorism, identity theft, back to privacy, and then more financial issues. So it's, it surprises me because when I work with couples, for example, the number one thing they argue about seems to be money. And economic yeah. issues, economic collapse is the eighth biggest fear of Americans. It is. But, but if you look at them, the, everything that comes before that, you know, from corruption of government officials uh, down through biowarfare, the thing that, 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 that all these things have in common is that they're, they're things where, where we depend on it. We do depend on government. We do depend on our uh, electronic cyber life. But there are also things that we have very little control over. Okay. Um, we, we can't do much about government uh, uh, corruption, at least we don't think we can, or, or terrorism is something that seems totally out of our control. It's somebody else's decision on whether this will happen to us. Uh, so really, the, 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 the first thing on, the, on fears where people can do something about is, it is uh, uh, the money, right? You know, in the night. Are you still there, Ed? Ed, we, we lost Ed's line. Uh, but, out of money in the, oh, there you go, Ed. Now I can hear you. Go ahead. We lost you for a minute, Ed. So, so really, yeah. you were saying that it's uh, when we have a dependency on something like the government, protection, you know, attacks, safety, security, but we don't have control over it, it probably increases our fear. Yes, I think so. I think that's it. Uh, uh, it's the things that we can't do anything about that tend to that yeah. tend to affect us. I think that's related to things like you know, which didn't rank as high, but which still scares people. Say fear of flying. Yeah, uh, you're up there in that tube, and and you're not the person controlling it. And I think you know that's what aggravates a fear like that as well. That's so. Really, one of the things um, I'm assuming you're trying to get at with the study there at Chapman is. Is not just what the fears are generally, but but what what are driving the fears? Is that part of your study? Yeah, we do want to sort that out as uh, as time goes on. Um, you know, with the first couple of ways, we did want to establish the methodology, and we did want to get a good look at uh, uh, what the top fears are. Uh, we did spend a little bit more time uh, on this wave, looking at how people act out of fear. And in the, the papers that we're working on, it's, it's how that fear may affect our daily behavior. Because, for example, one thing that we heard about um, on cyber uh, or on Black Friday, the more and more people were applying for gun, you know, to gun purchases than at any time in the history of, uh, of I guess, guns and gun purchasing. And yeah. all of a sudden... It's interesting, too. So if our fears are going up with terrorist attacks, uh, hearing, you know, literally every day now, every news cycle, we have more and more about terror. Uh, it may be then having people act out of their fear and now they're out buying guns. Yeah, we asked people if they had ever bought guns because they were afraid. And 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 10 percent, uh, 10 and a half percent of the sample said, yes, they had. Hmm. You know, most people are buying guns because they hunt or for sports yeah. purposes or things like that. But uh, among those people who buy guns, it's the fear that's driving at least 10 percent of uh, the purchases. Did what else did you learn about acting out of fear? I mean, what else is what else are you seeing as signs or what else is happening when people what do they do with their fear? Um, well, we noticed 
in, in the questions where we simply asked, have you ever done this because you were afraid, uh, the top one there was voting for a particular candidate, again, taking us back to government. But huh. more than one out of five people uh, uh, in the sample, it was 22.6%, said they had voted for a particular candidate out of fear. And that's where we start to see where uh, uh, this fear of corruption of, of government officials can really affect our nation. Wow. Uh, a democracy depends on rational debate and making good choices. That's the principle behind it. Uh, if we're voting out of fear rather than out of what we believe would be uh, uh, the best thing for the country, I think I think that does threaten it. It's interesting. And again, you you won't have the data on this, but there's still so many people scratching their heads trying to figure out the Trump effect. But yeah. a lot of that could very much just be fear-based. He talks very cleanly and very clearly about fear and fear issues. And if if 20 percent of people act have, have acted out of fear, in, especially in, I guess, electing somebody uh, or voting for somebody, it's it really is very timely information to add to the discussion. Yeah, I think so. And certainly his hot button topics in his speeches, uh, uh, you know, immigrants and and talking about registering people because of their religious beliefs or something. That's definitely fear driven. And and it definitely is a fear reaction. Hmm. Did when you look at this, uh, this the activity of fear, I mean, it is a major motivator. And yet some of the things I know that came out of your research, like even like ghosts, um, do people believe in ghosts? There was a really cool example of if you believe in ghosts, you probably meet this criteria. You probably meet this this uh, this demographic or these demographics. Is some of this just situational? Is some of this just almost – is it more likely to happen in one part of the country than another part of the country? Or is this America overall? Uh, well, the sample is, is uh, uh, it's a weighted random sample of Americans uh, that, that's made to match the census. So it should apply to people uh, uh, you know, across the whole nation. But region of the country does matter for things like paranormal beliefs. And if you're from the South, uh, you're more likely to have paranormal beliefs. Hmm. Uh, people uh, who are Republican are actually more likely to have paranormal beliefs. Interesting. Um, yeah, people who attend church regularly are more likely to have paranormal beliefs. Hmm. Um, uh, people who have lower levels of education, females, people who are unmarried, um, uh, people who are non-white, uh, all tend to have significantly greater paranormal beliefs. Isn't that interesting? And, and fears, really, I guess, fears of paranormal events. Yeah, not not everything we asked about the paranormal is related to fear. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things we asked about was, do you believe in angels? Uh, hmm. uh, treating that as sort of a, a paranormal belief. Um, so it's not all negative. Yeah. Uh, uh, some people, their paranormal beliefs aren't motivated by fear as much as they are by uh, a search for security. Right. I mean, that really is seems like what we're constantly doing on this earth is trying to find some way – to secure mm-hmm. our paradigm, our view of life. Uh, let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Ed Day, and uh, he's from Chapman University and talking about the survey of American fears that they, they just completed the second year of and uh, just picking his brain, learning about fears, what Americans are afraid of. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. I really want to find out how this, uh, this year's survey compares to their last survey. Have things changed much? Have our fears moved in a different direction? Stick with us, folks. Uh, Understanding your fears when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What are you most afraid of? Uh, How about, you know, government corruption? Does that scare you when you go to bed at night? Cyber terrorism? Number one fear of Americans, according to the Chapman uh, University's survey on American fears. Number one, corruption of government officials. Number two, cyber terrorism. In the end of the top 10, many of them are about government. Corruption, tracking of personal information, their ability to protect. I mean, it makes sense, right? We're in an election year. So uh, we've asked one of the uh, one of the authors of this study to join us, Dr. Uh, L. Edward Day. And Dr. Day is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Sociology at Chapman University and the director of the Earl Babby Research Center in Orange, California. He received his Ph.D. in sociology from the University of Washington. And uh, he's joining us now to just enlighten us about the fears of Americans Ed, uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Really, I think this is an interesting study. How does how does this year's survey and study how does it relate to the last study you did? What 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 has changed in our fears since your last you know your last study? Yeah, you know, the, the main change we did in Wave Two was actually methodological. So so things from Year Two are not necessarily directly comparable to to Year One. Part of that was when we did the first wave, we tried to use natural language. So as we were putting the survey together with our students, we uh, uh, interviewed people about their fears, and we found that people expressed things as either fear or worry or concern. Hmm. For example, people might say they're afraid of crime, but they would say they were worried about pollution rather than being afraid of it. So in the first wave, we tried to use that natural language. And and so we asked about, are you afraid of this, of some things? And are you concerned about other things or worried about other things? This time around, uh, uh, we just used the word fear so we could get more directly comparable statistics. And that is what changed things. You know, uh, 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 the the fear of, of government corruption that popped up in this time uh, had been a concern in the first one, so we couldn't directly compare it to the fear stuff. When we looked uh, at what we asked about fear in wave one, the number one worry was walking alone at night. Really? Um, yeah, people, it, when, when people use the word fear themselves, it tends to be, you know, against, uh, regarding something which can directly harm you. Mm-hmm. But when we use that language to talk about corruption of government officials, it turned out that, that people are more worried about that about their personal safety. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. Did you notice in either of the studies, does, I mean, like the word fear, when I work with, um, when I work with couples, for example, fear doesn't seem to resonate with men the same way it resonates maybe with women. Like men use, it seemed like they would use other words. Oh, I'm not afraid. I just, I feel weird. I just don't trust it. I mean, they make up other words, other terms for it. Yeah, I think that is it. And and women uh, do show slightly higher fears on, on most of the fears that we ask about in the survey. And, yeah, I think there is a gender effect going on there. It will hmm. take us a little while to tease it out. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to. In, in our next wave, 
our next wave, we're actually going to be doing, you know, both types of questions to, to sort out how that, how that change in language might affect. It's more of a methodological science geek issue, but uh, uh, we'll hopefully a year from now have that sorted out a little bit better. It was interesting. In your study, too, one of the things I know you worked on is the fact that a lot of people might be afraid of a natural disaster, and that's, that might rate, rank high, but yet they're not necessarily doing things to prepare themselves for the disaster. Talk about what you learned yeah. there. That was very surprising is that uh, uh, people report that they are afraid uh, of natural disasters, um, but very few people prepare for it. And we found out that, that how afraid you are of a natural disaster isn't necessarily related to whether or not you're going to prepare, or say, have an emergency kit at home. Hmm. It's something that concerns us a lot out here in Southern California, of course, because yeah. the you know, the devastating earthquake isn't likely, but it could happen. Right. And, and people need to be prepared. Um, Do, does but, the preparation, but, but does the preparation diminish the fear or does it just, you know, you've just done everything you can do. So, I mean, are the people that are preparing then and actually going out and buying their emergency kits, are they actually less afraid? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, they might have been less afraid to start with. Yeah. We're starting, you know, as we dig down into the data and, and, and do more complicated analyses, we're, you know, we're finding out, well, in some sense it's intuitive, but, but we've never been able to tease it out before. So a little bit of fear is a good thing and a lot of fear isn't. Yeah. People who are a, a little bit afraid of, say, natural disasters are the ones who seem more likely that they're going to put together an, an emergency supply kit. Uh, people who are report being highly afraid of it, in a sense, it, it freezes you. It, it, it makes you too scared to go out or, or, or you, deny, you, know, you go into denial or you don't want to do it. But the people who are most afraid are often the ones who aren't doing it, hmm. uh, preparing. But this is, this is important for, for things like social policy or, or how we try to get people to prepare. Uh, the, the response of say FEMA to try and urge people to, to get this has been largely fear-based. You know? mm -hmm. You should worry about this, and so you should be prepared. Um, our, our data is showing that's not going to be an effective approach. That's not uh, going to be a great motivator. No, no. And, in fact, it may be counterproductive. You may scare people away from, from actually directly addressing the issue. Uh, what we found more important is to just give clear instructions or a nice simple checklist. Say, hey, have this stuff, uh, have this stuff ready. It's a good thing to do. Hmm. And that's an approach that should be more effective. Well, and that, that also, for example, when you see flooding in certain parts of the country, um, mm -hmm. even getting people to leave the area, you know, to leave a, a, an area that might be engulfed by fire uh, during a uh -huh. forest fire, it's, sometimes it's just impossible to get them to move. And, and maybe that's part of the deal is maybe we're so used to trying to, you know, make people afraid by giving them yeah. the immediate – scary data, but maybe that doesn't incite the movement we want. Perhaps. It could work that way. Hmm. Um, in, in, a, in a paper that I'm working on with Dr. Bader and one of our students, we're, we're looking at uh, how fear of crime affects uh, uh, people's, say, social capital or how, how, how much they're likely to get involved in the community. I'm a criminologist, so the fear of crime stuff interests me the yeah. most. Uh, and what we find is that uh, uh, if people are a little bit afraid of crime, 
they do the things that will help fight crime. They join community organizations. They they hang out with their neighbors, which, by the way, is one of the best ways to prevent crime. Right. People Get together. Other within an area. Yeah. Um, when people become greatly afraid of crime, they do exactly the opposite. They start to withdraw, you know, and so instead of having block parties to sort of secure your neighborhood, you stick up bars on your windows and stay inside. Hmm. That leaves the public spaces open to the bad guys. You know, if, 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 none, of the, if none of the good folks are, are going to the park at night, then the park is, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you have left the park to the bad folks. Are, are there certain um, people that are more likely to just feel more fear or to take fear too far? Uh, it's not necessarily standard across all types of fears, uh, but but as a general rule, um, lower education is, is is associated with fear. Um, being female, as we mentioned before, uh, slightly higher levels of fear. Um, region of the country would affect different types of fears. Uh, so, yeah, there there are differences, but they're not necessarily standard across groups. Huh. Would you, if you had to talk about a region of the country that's the least fearful, is there is there a region, or is it just topical, depending on what topic? Yeah, I think it's more topical. I mean, because if you live in the if you live in the West, you might not be afraid of you know home invasion. Like I mean, yeah. like if you live in Montana, you, but you might be more afraid that someone might steal your you know your cattle. Right. Right, and of course, someone in Oklahoma is going to be more afraid of tornadoes than someone in Seattle. Right. Um, yeah. Just because it's more likely to occur there. Interesting. Well, it, to me, it's fascinating research. If if we had to wrap it up, or one one key learning, Ed, tell us what what should what is the number one thing we can all do, just average citizens, average folks. To deal with our fears, if we're worried about government corruption, if we're worried about terrorism, if we're worried about, you know, identity theft, what is the number one thing I can do to allay my fears? Well, I would say the first thing is to actually get a realistic view of what you are afraid of. Now, we see that 44 percent of uh, uh, Americans are, are afraid of terrorism. And and especially when when we're in the middle of this tragedy, which is so close to where I live. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's about 50 miles away from Oh, wow. Uh, um, um, I don't want to diminish that, but at the same time, this isn't something that should necessarily freeze your life. Uh, uh, it, it is highly unlikely. Um, you're much more likely to, to be killed driving your car to work this morning while listening to this show. Yeah. And I would say, you know, be realistic about what the fears are. We've seen for the last 20 years fear of crime. Uh, uh, ratchet up significantly, and yet at the same time, crime has actually, both violent and property crime, has been reduced by 50% since the early 90s. It's one of the greatest public policy successes ever, and most people are completely unaware of it. Yeah, and, and our fear still, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, people, people actually believe that the crime rates have been going up for the past 20 years. And it's more like, no, let's get... Let's get rational about our fears. Understand that, that, that if you let it go uncontrolled and, 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 you, and you let it get to that level where it will freeze you, that that's harmful, that that becomes pathological. Uh, deal more rationally with what are the threats that actually uh, 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 that I actually face. Understand yeah. that they're not that great and that we can work through them. Well, I, you know what, Ed, I think it's great advice for all of us. And, and maybe try to get more of our information from – 
you know, other sources than just the media that might be hyping just for the moment the the fears that a lot of us might have. It does get ratings. And so we appreciate your great work there at Chapman University and that survey of American fears. Keep it up. And uh, we're excited to have you back for your next uh, your next version of the same study. Good stuff, folks. Uh, Dr. Edward Day, again from Chapman University in uh, Orange County, California. We uh, we're going to take a break. Man, it's it's interesting. Those fears. Like, think about that. Do you fear crime? Do you sense in your environment, your culture, where you live, is is crime on the rise or on the decline? Do you even know? But what do you what do you fear? Do you fear it's on the rise? Do you feel less safe? Let's get rational, get realistic about our fears. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting, uh, interesting research about what Americans fear most. And when you think about it, it's the fears, they're, they're very much about what you can control or can't control, right? So if I can't control something, I might be more inclined to be afraid, to want to fix it. Um, and it's just interesting. Also, the paranormal stuff he was getting into, it was also very, very fascinating, I think, because... There's 40% of Americans believe that uh, places can be haunted by spirits, okay? And more than a fourth, according to the Chapman survey, uh, believe that the living and the dead can communicate with each other. 20% of Americans believe that both aliens visited Earth in the ancient past and that dreams can foretell the future. Isn't that interesting? One of the surveys, uh, the survey also shed light on certain characteristics of people who believe in the paranormal. And Ed went over this a little bit. He said, people with the highest levels of paranormal beliefs have the following traits. Low levels of church attendance, non-white, Catholic, no college degree, female, unmarried, living in the Northeast. Isn't that interesting? Like they can target paranormal beliefs that, that directly. But it's uh, it's fascinating. In fact, um, I recently just found uh, a, a really interesting um, article that was talking about a dead woman. So a young woman died in an accident in China. And there's a, there's a belief, you know, you got to get married. So listen to what happened. Uh, three people were detained for attempting to sell the corpse of a young woman to be used in a ghost bride ritual. And what they were doing is the official uh, uh, Xinhua news agency reported that the main suspect, a man aged 72, said he had heard about the death of a young woman in a nearby village in Shanxi province and thought of selling the corpse to relatives of a single dead man. So... A single dead man should be married to a single dead woman. And the the price was 25,000 yuan. Is that how you say that? $4,000. 
Anyway, they uh, they were, I guess, uh, the main suspect and two accomplices pretended to be relatives of the woman and negotiated a sale price of $4,000 with the buyer. And while they were raiding a village tomb for the body last weekend, their plot was scuttled by villagers who caught them in the act and alerted police. The reason behind the ritual is to ward off bad luck, especially with dying while single. And the practice reportedly extends back centuries. It persists in more rural areas, but it still isn't something, uh, you know, it's, it's still a belief system. So one of the reasons your fears may matter and what uh, we were just learning from Ed Day is the fact that you might want to start taking some of your traditions, some of your values or your beliefs and just evaluating them, you know, basing them on something more modern doesn't make it more accurate, but um, it's try, try to understand the theory behind it. Try to dig a little deeper into what's going on instead of just raiding a tomb. Interesting stuff, huh? That's why fears matter. It also, those fears, by the way, make it so we see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. Many of the arguments that I try to help couples resolve are generally coming out of fear. And uh, if, if you want to conquer the conversation, you got to conquer the fear a bit. So also we could take in a little bit more data, right? Usually when our, we're talking to our partner, every conversation is not life or death. It doesn't need to be the thing that terrifies you. Anyway, that's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We will be back in one hour. No, next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday, folks. You made it another week. And one step closer to Christmas. Well, I thought you were going to say one more step closer to death. Oh, that's just morbid. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that. Yeah, maybe it's because you're morbid. Hey, uh, thanks for bringing me ice cream today. Yeah, did you try it? I haven't tried it yet. I'm saving it for lunch. What, uh, what was the flavor of the day? Flavor du jour? So this is this wasn't an experimental flavor this time. This is one. This is tried and tested. Yeah. So what, it's what are we calling it? It's it actually has a funny name. Okay. It's called if mom ain't happy. Ooh. Because my mom wanted me to make it, but she forced me to put pecans in it. Okay. So I I named it that out of spite. Yeah. Because yeah, a little that was just what we call a microaggression. Yeah. So she's gonna sue me for that later. <laughs> but in it, so it's got pecans. Raspberries what? and chocolate. Holy cow. It's really, really good. I can hardly wait. I probably should try it so I could talk about it on the air. Yeah. But I want I, I really want it for lunch. Just one spoonful. A spoonful you'll, of you'll probably eat the rest of it. But... I know that's the problem. Once I get started, I can't stop. Uh some of you know that our Ben, he not only runs the board for the show, but he also he makes gourmet ice cream. In um, in his sock drawer in his dorm room. Yeah, I thought the bathroom wasn't 
as clean as I'm I so wanted. I'm so glad you took it out of the bathroom. Yeah, so I moved it to the sock drawer. <laughs> It's so sad. It is so sad. It's our little boy just trying to make a dollar. Uh, and if you want, you know, if you want to hire him out, he'll come anywhere in the country. As long as you've got a sock drawer and some cream, he can make. And he, probably a plane ticket. Oh, no. He's got a bike. He can make it? Okay. Skateboard, right? If you give me three months, I'll meet you anywhere. <laughs> He'll do anything for money. Hey, by the way, today's December 4th, Santa's List Day. Today's the day you got to get uh, the list out. Santa's elves have been everywhere checking up on children all over the world to see if they've been naughty, who's been nice. They need the list. The list, this is the day they're compiling the list. It makes sense. At some point, they have to have a deadline. You got to know who we got to let go. Logistically speaking, they have to be able to figure out how do you stock the sleigh? What goes on the That's bottom, true. what That's goes true. on the top. You, you've you worked at UPS. I have. You know the importance of planning ahead. What's funny, though, is those drivers, there's people that work throughout the night. And they'll, 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 they'll pack the truck. They'll put it in order specifically. This is the first stop, and it starts on one side of the truck, moves to the other side. Yeah. They've done studies. They know statistical surveys right. on how to do this the most efficiently. And the second the guy drives the truck, it all falls off the shelves. And then it doesn't matter. And then they got to stop somewhere and fix it because it's all just a mess. This is actually perfect timing for today's discussion. Today we're going to be speaking about why organizations don't learn, right? And Bradley Stotts will be joining us, and he wrote an article in Harvard Business Review about why they don't learn. But see, a company like UPS learns. Yes. An organization like Santa's Workshop, they learn. They know. They're, they're, as UPS says, they're, they're, they're logistics, right? They're about logistics. logistics. Who? A UPS or Santa's yes, workshop? exactly. Both of them. Pro, the, UPS probably learned from Santa's workshop. Oh, for sure. Santa's workshop, the colors, green, red. Uh-huh. Uh, UPS, brown. Brown. But I think if you combine green and red, don't you get brown? If you combine enough colors, then it just eventually turns brown. Yeah. See? UPS is... The combination of all colors. That's the way you want to go with it, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. But we're going to be talking about learning because I want to be a learning organization show. So I want you guys to start learning. <laughs> that sounded bad. And then how to fix it. Yeah. If we're doing something possibly wrong, which right. I sincerely doubt. No, but I mean it, it could happen. Yeah. But I want – we just need to learn. The problem is humans, we think they automatically learn. They don't. Because to learn, you'd, actually, you'd, you'd change. I mean, a lot of us have been doing the same thing over and 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 right. over you, and you over. You can stop now. There's a bit of a skip there. See, right there, I learned. Yeah. <laughs> because of a feedback loop. Today's also cookie day. Mmm. I some. am the healthiest human ever known to man. There you go. <laughs> That's me imitating Donald Trump. Mmm. That's not me. I, I think that was a statement about yourself. I think that clip was completely in context. I'm feeling – I'm not feeling like I'm the healthiest. I woke up at 3, 2.30 in the morning and I had stopped breathing. Really? Have you ever Have you ever no. been <laughs> startled awake because you weren't oh. breathing? Mm, no, it's usually from like a dream or – No, mine was not a dream. My leg will just randomly kick. Oh, yeah. That freaks me out. I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) You're all twitchy. No, I woke up because I wasn't breathing, and my wife's hands were around my neck. 
Whoa, hey. Totally weird. No, it was – I just stopped breathing and I I kind of feel like I have the croup. Mm. But I couldn't like cough it out. Do you have like an apnea? Do you need a mask? No, no I know, but I would – A mask I would, and a big machine? I'm not machine? afraid to get one of those. Your wife would be. Yeah. You got Darth Vader next to you all night. Lord Vader, is that you? And it's a big head mask. No, honey, it's me. <laughs> it's, it's Dr. Matt. Today's, by the way, the wear, CPAP it's, it's, uh, wear brown shoes day. Oops. Nailed you did it. it. I nailed it. Good job. Mine are blue. So. Yeah, I got brown shoes on today. Are you bored of wearing black shoes? Today is brown shoe day. Why just, do we have days like this? It's to mix it up. It's almost like Fridays. They always just make Friday. They just throw it in the just throw it in on a Friday. Well, it's how government, a lot of news organizations that you'll you'll see uh, just random things happen at five thirty. Yeah, the White House has a press conference. They dump a bunch of controversial stuff out there. On Hopefully, Friday. it gets in the wash of the weekend. Then everyone forgets, and you start on Monday. So, yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> how the news happens. You know, nothing wrong with that. Except it really messes up our. It's kind of why I think it's why they put out all the uh, the job reports. Yeah, today jobs went up two hundred and what eleven thousand jobs. Yeah, so they put it out and they do it on a Friday. If it's bad, then it only has like the one cycle of the the day and it's over. Right, and it'll wash that just washes out because we've got all these other stories. Right, we're finding out that San Bernardino may have had terrorist ties and. But we don't know. FBI is not sure. They're still working on it. Anyway. Okay, let's get to the headlines. Let's find out what else is going on around the world, and then we're going to get into uh, organizational learnings. Terry, hit it. Thanks, Matt. The San Bernardino shooting on Wednesday that killed 14 and injured over a dozen more is now being investigated as a counterterrorism case due to new information about the suspected gunman, Syed Farouk, 28, and his wife, Tash, uh, Tashfin Malik. i got to get these down. Who? Yeah, well... A motive is still very much unclear, and officials stress that it's just because the case is being investigated as counterterrorism doesn't mean that the act was conclusively one of terrorism. The New York Times reports that Farouk was notably in touch with an individual in the United States who was recently investigated for terrorism. Both Farouk and Malik traveled abroad as well. Farouk was an American citizen, while his wife was in the country on a Pakistani passport. David Bodwich, the assistant director of the FBI in Los Angeles, confirmed that some of their travels were to Pakistan. So there's all this evidence, but they're not mm. at the point where they're going to call it terrorism. Right. The Senate passed a bill on Thursday to repeal key provisions of the Affordable Care Act and to defund Planned Parenthood for one year. The bill will go to the House of Representatives where it's expected to pass, but President Obama has vowed to veto the measure. Congress has voted numerous times to repeal Obamacare and defund Planned Parenthood, but the legislation is the first to reach the president's desk. The bill passed narrowly 52 to 47. The U.S. Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter, announced the Pentagon will open all military combat roles to women. The Thursday announcement comes as a follow-up to the January 2013 mandate calling for a full integration of women by 2016. There will be no exceptions, Carter said, noting that nearly all branches of the military agreed with the decision to fully integrate. Only the Marine Corps requested some exceptions and said, uh, but those were ultimately overturned. But in the end, it's open to everyone, but you have to qualify. Yes. Right? So everyone can die equally, but you have to qualify to die. The the special forces, there's a lot of testing, yeah, a lot gotta of physical abilities. You got to be able to do what you got to do. So yeah. Cool. Uh, yesterday was a Republican Jewish coalition. Oh, did you hear they this? They have a 2016 forum in DC. 
Uh, first, we had Donald Trump trying to win over the audience by cracking borderline anti-Semitic jokes. We'll get to those in a moment. <laughs> and that might not have been the biggest gaffe of the day. Following Trump's uncomfortable speech, Ben Carson mispronounced the name of the militant Palestinian group Hamas multiple times while criticizing President Obama's understanding of the Middle East. So here's the quote. Hamas, 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 Hamas. He kept Hamas call- rules the Gaza Strip. He kept calling it Hamas. Uh, I love hummus, by the way. Hummus is a, as this article called it, a tasty dip made from chickpeas. Mm -hmm. Not a big fan of hummus. But that's what hummus is. By the way, I'm not, I'm I'm less of a fan of Hamas. Now, Hamas being a militant terrorist terrorist wing of the, so when you're criticizing the president's knowledge (laughs) and you can't pronounce the name. Yeah. Over and over. And what was funny is on Twitter, all these reporters are like, this is getting uncomfortable. Someone should yeah. tell him. You know? But see, what's funny is, again, this is the guy that can go in and, and fix your brain. So no one questions his intelligence. It's just he must like hummus. I, I guess. He had hummus on the brain. <laughs> now on to Trump and his comments. He, uh. He's standing in front of the Republican Jewish coalition, and he says things like, I'm a negotiator like you folks. Yeah. Or he goes, is there anyone in this room who doesn't negotiate deals? Probably more than any room I've ever spoken in. Seriously. He's sitting. <laughs> and then and, he, and he, he's like, I know you're not going to vote for me. Yeah. Did he, you hear all that? He goes, you're not going to support me because I don't want your money. My Christians are liking me a lot lately. He said at one point. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then another one, I can't remember who it was, mentioned that they had just watched Schindler's List the night before. Oh. They, these people, they're pandering, and it's offensive pandering. Yeah. And then Trump on the Middle East peace process, he goes, I believe I could bring the two sides together. It would take six months. I could fix the whole thing in six months. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> you know what? Let's give him a shot. I, everyone else has tried. Why not? But let's put, let's, put, let's put some money out. If you can't fix the Israeli uh, – if you can't fix – Israeli-Palestine relations in six months, you forfeit your entire fortune. If you can, we'll pay you $3 billion. His fortune's what, $8 billion? We'll, or, or we'll the, pay you $8 billion. The price of whatever we're supporting Israel with on a yearly basis. Yeah, well, and, that and, would, you and would Palestine. Think, and, you would think that would diminish. That's yeah. probably $3 billion. Let's have him put his money where his mouth is. Oh, yeah. And then let's have him have just a temporary role as president to fix that issue. And if he works, then we hire him another six months. Six months at a time. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm just trying to make this more learning. Yeah. Yeah. Which, well, is, yeah. which is what we're getting into. Any other news? That's it. He's a negotiator, just like you folks. Oh, that's so offensive. Because every Jewish person in the world, obviously good at business and negotiating and hanging on to their money. Oh, my heavens. He's so offensive. But you know what's amazing about him is it just works. Like, he didn't care. Next. And he goes to the next group. In fact, we really need to put a reel together of every offensive thing he's said so far. We probably don't have an hour. Yeah. I'm, that'd take a really long time. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm against him. I just can't believe what he gets away with. You know what I mean? Well, he is 70 years old. That's another thing. I had no idea it was that old. Um, Not that that's old, just so you know, because I'm a grandpa. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we will be talking about why organizations don't learn. We'll be talking about an article that was in the Harvard Business Review, and one of the authors, Bradley Stotts, will be joining us 
Uh, stick with us, folks. It's important to know uh, if your organization is learning and what you can do about it. Otherwise, you're probably going to keep stepping in the same hole. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what is the difference between an organization, a company, that can keep innovating, that can keep changing, a dynamic organization, one that's fluid, that can stand the test of time? I mean, like a Clorox, for example. How on earth did Clorox bleach still stay in the game, right, and, and, and still be around, it's innovation, right? It's changing. It's research. It's development. Something's going on. But one of the keys might also be learning. It is a learning organization. And our next guest, uh, Dr. Bradley Stotts from uh, University of North Carolina, the Keenan Flagler Business School, has uh, he wrote an article with Francesca Gino in the Harvard Business Review, Why Organizations Don't Learn. And I I saw the article and I thought, okay, we got to get this guy on and pick his brain about how we create a learning type of organization. Dr. Bradley Stotts, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Great. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Love this topic. Um, I'm I'm big into this concept of, of learning and learning organizations. But do I mean I guess do organizations actually learn or or how do, it's really the people isn't it the leadership isn't it the the people that do the learning yeah, no, exactly. I mean, so so at the end of the day, we're talking about people, uh, but of course, the, the organization systems uh, and processes uh, play a big role there. Yeah. Uh, but but what we focus on more in the article, as I think you're saying, is is starting with those people. Um, what are the ways that uh, sometimes we are our own worst enemies, um, and then working up to leaders and thinking about how we can encourage our teams, and then also the processes that we need um, to make sure that uh, that those in the organization can learn. Because that really is one of the reasons why. We want to keep our employees as long as we can because they they maintain a lot of the information that is so essential to the company, right? Absolutely. That uh, I mean, one of our one of our uh, kind of best sources of uh, of knowledge um, are uh, our coworkers. Uh, and so, you know, as we uh, develop as an organization, we can put things into computers. We can create you know kind of standard operating procedures for how we follow. Uh, but there's only so much we can get that explicit with. There's still lots that's tacit that's that's in folks' heads. And so, we want to make sure we can draw on that. Right. In your article, you you bring up a, a really interesting example about Toyota. Because yep. Toyota forever has taught Kaizen and continuous improvement, right, and learning, constant learning. But then it had, after serious problems, you say, in the late 2009 that led Toyota to recall more than 9 million vehicles worldwide, its leaders confessed that their quest to become the world's largest automobile producer had compromised their devotion to learning. So their, their desire to grow actually killed their desire to learn. No, and it was really stark for me because uh, kind of part of why I'm a scholar of learning is just a fascination with Toyota's approach. So um, for you know a couple decades now, have, have been interested in yeah. it, um, and yet then you see you know this this organization that uh, that we hold up as kind of a paragon of virtue, um, but even they can stub their toe in a in a very meaningful way uh, that suggests some of these challenges are quite fundamental. But isn't it, Bradley, the very the very comment that I just read? 
that their admission that their desire to be the largest automobile producer compromised their learning, that very statement shows their learning. Yep. So exactly. without that, the companies that won't admit it are dead, aren't they? They are no, and, and that's one of the uh, one of the points we make in the article that uh, that you have to be able to see your own failure um, if you're going to uh, to learn and get better going mm, forward. I love that. So talk about what gets in the way. Why? I mean, because it is people, and it's people that run organizations. But and people, we have bias, we have issues, yeah. right? And and we have to create systems too. And but the systems tend to follow their creators. Absolutely. No, so I think uh, that what we've identified, uh, Francesca and I, in, in working together uh, for the last uh, 10 or so years, uh, is that we consistently run into four challenges as individuals and then in turn as organizations. Um, and those are that we have a bias towards success, uh, that we focus so much on, uh, on things moving forward uh, that we end up uh, compromising our learning in the process, mm. that we focus on action, uh, that we're, we're so concerned about about um, you know, pressing on uh, and getting things done uh, that we end up uh, harming ourselves, uh, that we focus on fitting in, uh, that we want others to like us, we want them to uh, kind of see that we're one of them, uh, and in turn, uh, we, uh, we don't learn as much as we could. And then finally, uh, we look to experts too often than recognizing that uh, kind of where we started, there's lots of knowledge in different parts of the firm that we need to draw on. Um, and so because of that focus on success, focus on action, focus on fitting in, and focus on experts, um, kind of we get in our own way and don't learn what we could. Interesting. Does it, it, it the, but these seem to be just very natural human biases. These just seem to be natural thought. But they are, and, and I think that the thing, of course, is you know it would be silly for me to say, oh, you know, success is horrible. One should never have success. Right. Uh, obviously, we want a great deal of success. We want um, action. We want to fit in. We want to, to you know to draw on experts appropriately. Uh, but the issue becomes when we do too much of any of those activities. Yeah, it's. I see it all the time, even just in a conversation with a couple or in a discussion, you know, doing a business kind of mediation, how quickly people are prone to start wanting to solve it yep. before they even understand the issue. No, exactly. And, and I think that's, I mean, there are a number of challenges uh, that we experience in each of these areas. And, and the success one, as you're, you're pointing out, um, they, they make sense um, in that eventually we need to solve a problem. But, but kind of a story throughout, I think, is that, you know, there's a little bit of a of a go slow to go fast. Um, and for each of these, we tend to uh, want to get straight to the go fast. Uh, and so kind of what we're trying to do in the article is, is really first create awareness of let's understand kind of not only at the high level, hey, there's something around success, but but what sits underneath it, and then once we've raised that awareness as individuals, uh, that uh, that we can change our actions for ourselves and for uh, for those that work for us. Hmm. Because I mean, really, each of these, each of these, uh, what, what do you call them? I guess uh, paradigms or struggles that yep. that stop us. Each of them also has like subset issues. Like for example, the bias towards action could be driven by the by the mere fact that there's exhaustion. People are tired. And so the faster we can get something done, the faster we can close the deal, the faster we can make things happen, you know, we, we think the better off we are, the safer we are. 
No, exactly. I mean, there's sort of uh, you know a red queen effect, right? That uh, from from Alice in Wonderland, um, that uh, you know you have to run faster and faster just to stay in the same place, mm. um, and we feel that, right? There's so much going on around us, um, so many things we want to do at work, so many things we want to do at home, um, that we think, uh, well, the easiest solution um, is just I'll work a little bit more, um, I'll uh, you know I'll skip a couple steps, um, and that uh, then we end up uh, kind of compromising our ability to. to to see that bigger picture, to recognize, oh, here's a shortcut that would have made it made it easier from the beginning on me. Yeah. Does I mean, do you this is universal, I guess, in your work, you're, you're studying learning and developing of and development of organizations. I guess you see these these biases in every organization then. We do. I mean, I, I think that uh, there I mean, part of why there are biases, it's it's human nature, um, and again, uh, that uh, that these are things that we need to do to be successful. Um, it's just we can't do too much of them, right? Um, that uh, you know, your point around uh, the action bias. Um, if uh, all we ever do is analyze a problem, um, then you know, of course, we'll have paralysis by analysis, mm-hmm. um, and so nothing would get done. Um, and so, kind of our response to that is no. Let's get moving. Let's you know, make something happen. Um, and you know, what we're trying to highlight here is. Is great organizations, you know, are neither you know fully acting or fully analyzing. Uh, that they're finding that balance that fits their context, and of course, you know, depends on lots of factors um, as to where exactly one draws that line. But there is a tension in each of these that you can kind of think as a continuum, um, and being at the extreme on either side uh, would be a very bad outcome. But that unfortunately, we tend to push a little bit more towards you know the action side. And so by pulling ourselves back a little bit, we have a chance to do better. Huh. Is it uh, – I, I just read another book about um, randomness uh-huh. and how a lot of us – another bias we have is to take something that's kind of random yep. and make it seem like it was actually – we created it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and maybe – do you call – is that what you're calling the attribution bias? Yeah, so so I think that's a great example as we think about this problem with success. Um, that uh, there's great psychology research uh, that uh, that looks at you know how do we how do we give credit for things that happen, um, and it turns out we treat success by ourselves and success by others in a really different way. Uh, that when someone else is successful, uh, we tend to discount it. We tend to recognize luck um, and say, oh, you know, anybody could have done it in that mm-hmm. situation. Uh, but unfortunately, when we encounter that same environment, um, it's not that you're right, I was just lucky. Um, it's that uh, we actually, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good, actually. Uh, I, should be, uh, I should feel kind of proud of myself. And so we give ourselves quite a bit of credit um, instead of stepping back and actually trying to, uh, to think about what's going on. Um, and the opposite, it's, it's important to note, the opposite's true for when we fail, that when we do something wrong, we're more likely to blame it on luck. Um, and so what happens then is that we've made this mistake, um, that we have potentially an opportunity to learn, go back to the Toyota example from yeah. earlier that you brought up, um, and instead we don't. It's, oh, you know, it was just, it was just bad, uh, bad luck. You know, <laughs> this, could have, this uh, could have happened to anyone. Um, and so then the, the cycle repeats itself, and it's only if we can break that. Um, to some extent, it's, you know, recognize we're, we're not quite as good as uh, we think we are when things are going well. And, and yes, it's true, we're not as bad uh, when things are going poorly, but we still need to to own it enough uh, to uh, glean the important lessons. Well, but it seems so counter 
you know, uh, evolutionary development, right? It seems like that was a paradigm that would eventually have killed us. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and that's, again, why businesses you know, fail. Yeah, no, we can't kind of be, uh, you know, aiming for 100% failure, uh, but we also know as an organization, if all of the new product development trials uh, that we run are uh, are successful, we're not pushing the frontier enough. Yeah, yeah, so, we're not, yeah, we're not throttling it right. We're 100% successful if, if truly being innovative. Oh, this is interesting. Bradley, we're, let's take a break. We'll come back. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Bradley Stotts from the uh, University of North Carolina uh, Keenan Flagler Business School. He is uh, teaching us about learning in an organization, folks. You know, people run the systems. Organizations are people, and people are the ones creating the ideas, the systems, the structures, the doing the development. But we're also responsible to be the ones learning. And if you want to, you know, I guess, ensure the future of your organization, you better ensure the learning is taking place. If not, you might be setting yourself up for some big surprises like we just talked about with Toyota. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, come back, and continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. More on organizational learning with Dr. Bradley Stotts. This is The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking about uh, organizational learning. Do you feel like your organization, you know, it's year end, so you got to have your Christmas party, but it might also be a great time to, to do some learning. Like, what has happened to us this year? Are we heading in the right direction? What are the best practices? A lot of information sometimes might be just lost. And, you know, we have this compelling need to keep producing, so a lot of us never actually figure out what we just went through, what we learned. And our, our guest today is uh, Dr. Bradley Stotts. He is a professor at the University of North Carolina, and uh, he, he examines how organizations can improve their operational performance in order to build a generative competitive advantage. He also ha- has written, an, I think, a wonderful article. If you own a business, if you are if you want to improve the results you're getting in your organization, you got to go look it up in Harvard Business Review, Why Organizations Don't Learn. It's, a, it's an article that Dr. Bradley Stotts co-authored with Francesca Gino, and um, just great work that uh, it's very well-cited and researched, powerful tool. Dr. Stotts, thanks again for being with us. Absolutely, Matt. Love being on the show. Talk about um, – okay, so what can I do, right? So I'm just the average Joe, just the guy that goes to work, maybe middle yep. manager. What I, what am I supposed to do to make sure my area of, of concern is actually growing? We're learning. Absolutely. So I think that uh, what we try to do in the article is with each of the different biases um, – take on a, a, a tact uh, in that direction. So um, you were talking about uh, you know, how it's the end of the year and yeah. how we should be thinking about learning. Uh, and so you know, around the bias to action, one of the things we bring up is the need for reflection. And so what's great about this is it's really simple to do, uh, but it's something that we often prefer not to, right? We right. Uh, did a study uh, where we gave people a choice. Do you act? Uh, do you reflect? And what we find is most of them want to jump right into the task. But if we could actually 
take that time to step back, uh, we see those reflectors do better. Um, we followed that up with some broader research uh, with a big organization where we randomly assigned. So we treated one group that had to just do the activity and then another group that spent 15 minutes each day reflecting. At the end of the day, at the end of some training, um, spend 15 minutes, what are the two things that you learned? Hmm. Um, and what was remarkable is at the end of a couple of weeks there, uh, they ended up taking uh, an important exam. So these were technical training um, experts at this company. And those that spent that 15 minutes reflecting um, actually performed dramatically better. Uh, and so one thing to think about here at the end of the year, um, and hopefully making it a practice going forward, is you know, taking just a few minutes each day, take five minutes um, and think, you know, what happened today? Um, what, should, uh, what should I learn from that? Um, and then how can I apply that going forward? Mm. Um, and we see some really significant impact there. I mean, and that's, that's nothing. It's just, but it is a habit most of us don't have. I, I think that's the point, right? And, and it's, we dismiss it for, for two reasons. One is we say, oh, it won't matter that much. Right. Um, and, and we did it first, too, um, in all honesty, and that's why we went and studied it, uh, that, you know, well, this can't be that important. And the research says it is. Hmm. I think the second thing is we're, we're back to, you know, well, I'll put it off today. Things creep in, right? right. Um, and so one has to be, um, I think, really zealous in the protection of their schedule, uh, both for things like reflection or even more broadly for birth. Uh, that, uh, you know, if we don't actually carve out, you know what, I'm going to take time to eat lunch. I'm going to take time to, you know, walk outside so I'm not sitting at a desk uh, for uh, eight, nine, ten hours. Um, and that actually this is back to the slow down a little bit to speed up. Mm. It really um... – like like the reflection, I just I'm a small business owner too, and I sit there and I I think I'm too busy to reflect, yet right. my busyness is because I never reflect. Exactly, you're too busy not to reflect. Oh my heavens! Kind of turn that around. Yeah, yeah. Does um, okay. So talk to me about this one because kind of the bias, and in business it's so big. Uh, this this bias to succeed to kind of to always be moving towards success. Yep. And if you're the one that sits there and says, hey, uh, maybe we ought to slow this conversation down and make sure we're trying to fix the right thing, sometimes everyone looks at you like you're anti-work, you're anti-growth. Right. How do you handle that? No, and that's a, that's a big challenge. And, and I think you have to be clear kind of what you're trying to accomplish, right? Um, that, uh, you know, in that conversation, it's, it's almost pulling back to, to say, you know, hey, what is, what is our objective here, right? And um, frequently, I think we can all come up with a time where we've been in a meeting, um, and part you know we we spend you know an hour charging ahead, and we leave the meeting, and we walk out, and we say, hold on, we weren't even talking about the right question right. Uh, for the last hour. Um, and so having that individual who's willing to kind of raise their hand, and it's not quite you know the emperor has no clothes, but instead it's you know. What are we doing with this time? And if one can do that in a, obviously a kind and a productive manner of, you know, hey, what, what's the objective for our organization here? Um, and every organization is going to have a different one um, towards, you know, how they're trying to create value, that we alter that discussion just a little bit. Um, and what, what ends up happening is people see you as, you know, look, you're, you're a truth teller. You're someone who um, actually has the organization's best interest in mind. Um, mm. And, of course, then when you, know, you come up with activities to do, you're not saying, well, I'm going to go back to my office and reflect. 
reflect for the next four hours. Right. Let me you take a nap on that. You're, you're signed up on it, right? You're right. still going and doing stuff. Um, and so, again, productivity matters. Kind of the whole story here is how can we prepare ourselves to learn more and to be more productive? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's it is you there's there's probably a dual responsibility for the one that understands the importance of making sure we're focusing on the right thing and you still need to produce so because yep. because the top producers i say this all the time that um well oh, it's a cool quote but it's basically uh superior performance fosters independence of action nice. so as soon as i if i'm hitting the numbers you can't question me if I'm because I'm nailing what you want and yet I'm still asking the right questions, which means I'll probably be able to hit it again tomorrow and do it again tomorrow and the next day. Because, I mean, a lot of us and that's one of your big points in your article, we get so caught up on past performance and we assume it's going to be exactly what's needed tomorrow. But past performance could have you, you know, eventually selling a product that nobody needs anymore. Yeah, exactly. Competitors are going to catch up. Um, and so, you know, we need to execute and handle the operations of today, uh, but we also have to be scanning forward. Mm. Uh, we have to be a little bit kind of Janus-like. We're looking backwards, but looking forwards at the same time. Um, and that's what this is really all about. By um, addressing these biases, then we can get those barriers out of the way um, and uh, and keep us moving. Is it do you see it still in corporate America? I mean, because we talk about mindfulness now. We talk about so many other things, just like time to reflect. Is is it being more accepted in corporate America that people need to be thinking more? I, I think it, I think it is. I mean, I think we go through cycles. Um, so uh, we go back to IBM with their with their think um, you know right. tagline um, uh, from from many decades ago, um, and then I think there's an appreciation that you know we need to just speed things up a little bit. Um, and today, kind of an awareness that well, well, maybe we've pushed that a bit too far. Um, so I think the good news is is there's an awareness. I think there's still though um, you know a, a general skepticism um, and. And um, I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, lots of this we talk about kind of averages that people have to craft the right routine for them. Um, that, you know, what uh, where one person goes for a walk uh, for, for 15 minutes, another person might do yoga, another mm-hmm. person might engage in productive conversations uh, around some fun topics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, there's no one size fits all in any of this. Mm-hmm. Is it um... – one of your another bias that you talk about is the bias toward experts. Yep. And and is what's that about? Teach us. And how do I help my people not always be looking to experts, but actually just bring me their information, which is yeah. just about as expert as I need sometimes. Exactly. I mean, I think that the problem is twofold. Um, one is that you know, we assume somebody else has the knowledge that we need, um, and so we kind of look we look up. And whether yeah. it's looking to our leader or looking to kind of whatever whomever we've designated as an expert, um, the other piece is that we tend to define what an expert is very narrowly. <laughs> um, and so whatever our field is, you know, we've got uh, you know it's the it's the chemical engineer or it's the computer programmer or it's the doctor or, um, you know, it's the machine tool expert, whatever it happens to be. Uh, And I think what we're saying here is, you know, first broaden that up. Recognize that uh, experience, uh, the idea of doing stuff repeatedly, um, can take many forms. And that depending on the question we're trying to answer, it's not immediately obvious, you know, which experience is going to be most valuable. 
Um, and related to that, kind of what do you do about it? Um, it's recognizing that you know, we as a leader want to encourage the folks that work for us and ourselves to really own the problems that affect them. Mm. Um, that it's not, you know, hey, I've got an issue, let me kick it to somebody else. Instead, it's I've got an issue, okay, um, let's figure out kind of what's going on here. What's the root cause of this? How do I address it? And if one can step through that, then absolutely, you know, I may need to reach out to someone else for help. Um, but if I've you know, encouraged you to do that, and then I've empowered you to apply you know, the knowledge that you have, then the organization has a chance to not only learn, um, but actually perform much better. Yeah. And so when we think about kind of that frontline customer experience, right, how much knowledge actually sits you know, with that call center uh, operator who sits with the receptionist who's constantly interacting with you know, customers as they walk in, and yet you know, too many organizations leave that untapped uh, and don't actually you know, what problems did you see today and uh, what can we do about it uh, mm. and ever address that? Yeah, I mean, if you have, if you feel all the pressure and have none of the power to change your world, why would you try to learn anymore? Yeah, of course, you wouldn't. If they're handing it down, okay, then you'll fall. You'll take the fall, not me. I'm just doing what you told me to do. Exactly. And And I guess that's that's interesting, isn't it? But we, even if that would cost our job or our future, a lot of us would still, you know, I guess that's the lemming model where you just run off the side of the mountain because everyone's doing it. Well, you, you stop thinking, unfortunately, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you just react. Organizations have, have beat that out of us. No, uh, totally. So uh, we, we want to get it back in. As we, as we kind of wrap this up, again, we're speaking with Dr. Bradley Stotts from the University of North Carolina, and he's... He's got a great article, really. It is, it's so complete and it's so thorough because it not just discusses, it discusses the problem, but then it also breaks it into four basic ways of thinking of biases, but then also challenges that need to be solved and how to solve them. It's like the perfect kit to start working on this, but they need to go look it up. Um, this day and age, it's a weird time because uh, I, I'm not necessarily just bound to a company anymore. I mean, I am my own company. I can bring yep. – so anything I go into a company and organization and learn, I can take it with me. Just as we wrap it up, what would you just suggest – where do we begin? How do, I, how do I begin to make sure I'm a leading – I'm a learning contributor to my team and I'm, I'm somebody that can in, innovate and get learning with others – whether I stay or I go in my organization. Yeah, so I mean, I think the first thing that I would do is is be aware um, that uh, on these four areas, the idea of success, of action, of fitting in, and of uh, expert focusing too much on experts, that that maybe I need to push myself a little bit away from each of those. Uh, be willing to take a little bit more risk. Uh, be willing to step back a little bit. Be willing to stand out, um, and be willing to rely on myself and get you know my team potentially to rely on themselves, um, and kind of start that process and see what happens. Mm. I think what our research would suggest um, is that will help engage you, engage folks around you, um, and lead to learning. Powerful, powerful stuff. Dr. Bradley Stotts, well done. I mean, honestly, thorough, thorough article. Uh, keep up the great work. I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep finding more and bring you back because I've learned a ton. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. Matt. Love being on the show. Thank you. Dr. Bradley Stotts, University of North Carolina, folks. Again, when you, I mean, that's what you love about an academic that spends his life studying this. There's so much to learn. And again, the learning doesn't stop today, right? We'll do this again tomorrow. We'll do it again the next day. Anyway, powerful stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, uh, wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Learning, 
right here on BYU Radio. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Learning, I mean, its it really is. That's just life. thats I don't, the biases that he was talking about, the need for action, we've talked about that before, like soccer, goalies. The research shows if you stand in the middle of the goal, you're more inclined to catch more balls in a soccer shootout, what do they call it, in a free kick. Just standing right in the middle. Don't move. I think you'll get like 22% of the balls. But if you jump, no, you might get about 50% of the balls. If you jump to the right, you get about 20%. If you jump to the left, you get about 16%. I can't remember the numbers. But the reality is the majority of time people are jumping, even though statistically it's better if you just hold still. Just stay in the middle. But you don't want the ball to go to the right and to have not moved. Because you look stupid. So we have this inclination to just jump. Even if statistically, it's not going to work. How many times have you just said, you know, let's just get going. Uh, Let's just go find a movie. Let's go find something to do. And so you get in the car with your date or your wife. And you don't quite know where you're going yet. Have you ever done that with a group of friends? (laughs) You don't know what movie you're going to or where you're going to eat yet. But we know we don't want to be home. Yes. With our kids. So you just get in the car. With no plan. And you get moving. Yeah. And then when you finally figure it out, you're like, you know, 12 blocks from where you should have been if you had known. Or when I went to propose to my wife and the restaurant I wanted to go to was closed. Oh, that's embarrassing. Like out of business. Oh, oh really? I was like, I probably should have come by here before to make sure yeah. they existed. Well, that's the problem with like hamburger places. Yeah, I was trying to do the drive-through, but you know, <laughs> that's so sad. I don't want to get out of the car. That is so sad. Uh, anyway, learning's pretty interesting. It's one of the things we try to do on the show is uh, is teach you about learning. Uh, you brought up a Brussels sprout learning. I asked you what you had learned. What's your biggest learning? And you said Brussels sprouts. Apparently, in the UK. By the way, apparently more and more people are eating Brussels sprouts. I to this day can't stand them. They're great. They're like little brains. Ugh, see, that's my point. They right go there. crunch. Um, that's really the appeal for me. But in the in the UK, they've had a lot of rain. They've had a lot of uh, some cooler sort of temperatures. Apparently, that helps Brussels sprouts grow. They have a bumper crop of what they're calling monster Brussels sprouts. Ooh. Brussels sprouts are mostly probably about the size of of a ping pong ball. Is a normal Brussels sprout okay. size, maybe a little smaller than that. These these Brussels sprouts are bigger than a golf ball. Wow. So they're, they're quite large. Well, that just seems like more bad taste. Well, if <laughs> you don't like them, uh, the typical size of uh, one and a half inches to one and a quarter inches long, while golf balls are around uh, one, one, one point six inches in diameter, so a little bit bigger. Hmm. Basically, they've had a lot of water, a huge, very proactive growing season. So now they have these, as they're calling them, monster Brussels sprouts. And apparently Brussels sprouts are a thing at Christmas. Are they over there? Not I don't oh, over there. I yeah. don't necessarily think they are here. No. I mean, you can no. obviously. I guess people do, but mostly Brussels sprouts are hated. People yeah, don't, don't like Brussels sprouts. But I think you could make. I mean, I would love, like you say, your wife knows how to make them in a way that everyone eats the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, with bacon. 
Oh, well, see, there you have it. <laughs> if you added a little bacon to the Brussels, bacon like, sprouts. Like I think even my father would turn his nose up at the – I think he ate, ate Brussels sprouts because <laughs> of the bacon. But it says that they're uh, – the supersized Brussels sprouts are about a third bigger and weigh more than double the average sprout. Wow. I see, I don't know if this is the kind of progress we want. Really? This is I the mean, wrong kind of progress? It's, it's like you know now we can kill people millions of ways. Now we can make Brussels sprouts bigger. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what do you think the children of America think? Mad scientists. They're playing with science. They don't know what they're doing. You're trying to kill us. Okay, anyway, that's a little learning for you. We're trying to help you learn every day. We'll take a break. Next hour, more learning for you, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, folks. Dr. Matt here. We've made it through another week. Now we need to get ready for the weekend when you can just go shopping and experience Black Friday every Saturday. Mm. Top of the morning to you. It is December 4th, by the way, which means it's Santa's List Day. This is the day that the elves decide if you're naughty or nice. So if you can, fake it one more day. Fake it one more day. Fake it till you make it? Yep. <laughs> fake it till tomorrow. The list will be set. And, you know, you might not get the coal that we've ordered for you. Happy Cookie Day, too. That's one of my favorite days. If you're going to have a I day, am the healthiest human ever known to man. You like cookies? Love cookies. Mm. But only healthy ones made out of quinoa. You do get kind of a biscuit sort of breakfast. Sometimes. Uh, what is that? Oatmeal uh, trail mix thing that yeah, you eat in the morning? Yeah, what is that called? Yeah, like a nutri. Yeah, it's like a baby. Sick one of those. those. One of those baby cookies that mm-hmm. turn just to mush. You see the kid eating those. Yeah. That's what you can eat. That's baby what I get. Teething cookies. You know, I've had a really weird thing because I woke up this morning with a cough. Not a, what was it? I was. I wasn't breathing. That was it. Right. I wasn't breathing. It, it kind of worried me. Your apnea kicked in. It wasn't even. It was just because it was like I've got a throat thing going on because I've overworked my voice. Oh. My wife says I talk too much. Hmm. And I think it felt like I had croup. You just gargle lemon or something, right? Well, lemon so I got up or... to gargle, and I noticed that my wife had bought muffins. Oh. And right. I thought, well, maybe that'll help. <laughs> I'll toss a muffin down and go back to bed. So Great. I had a muffin and some milk at 3 in the morning, knowing, by the way, that I get up, what, at quarter to 5. Mm. So I only had an hour and a half. Then I'm thinking, do I – because I couldn't take the medicine – that I would want to take because that would wake me up. But I couldn't take the medicine that would make me sleep. So I thought, muffin. Okay. Have a muffin. Justify whatever you would like. Let me just tell you, as a doctor, it worked. <laughs> it totally worked. So it's good for your, your mind, not your body because – What do you mean, not my body? What do you mean? Well, because your specialty on like the mind, not well, no, anything but, that – I mean, I, I can – I mean, if you just look at my body – you know it worked. You'd look like a muffin. Yeah, you're right. How come everyone's being rude today? You, you all realize Santa's it's Santa's list day. You can still get on the naughty list. It can still happen. Are you still on the list as a parent? Yeah. 
Isn't it just a kid thing? No, but aren't there a lot of parents that need to be on the naughty list? Like, Oh, yeah. You are out of control. We read about them daily. I know. So, yeah, there's still a naughty list for parents. All right. Hey, uh, interesting news. This just came in. New York Times is reporting that in the San Bernardino gunwoman. Tashfeen Malik. Say it again. Tashfeen Malik. Uh, had pledged allegiance to ISIS. On Facebook. On Facebook. So it's like saying, I'm now in a relationship with ISIS. It's not clear if they directed the activities, but she was, you know, making an effort to be their friend. Seems like a major finding towards the idea that this was terrorist related, right? So maybe we can start saying that. As it says at this point, we believe they were more self-radicalized and inspired by the group than actually told to do the shooting, yeah, says officials. Go. The well, post has good. been removed, by the way. Oh, it has? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's interesting news, but uh, I'm not the news guy. So let's go to the guy that knows the news. Terry South, find out what's going around the world. Terry? In other news, the U.S. economy added uh, 211,000 jobs in November. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reports today, in line with economist expectations, the economy gained another 35,000 jobs through revisions to September and October's estimates. The unemployment rate remained unchanged at 5%. The labor force participation rate, 62.5%, was a hair higher than in October. Another good sign since the rate fell for much of the time since 2008 collapsed and only recently leveled out. So positive, negative, you'll hear it all today as They're people jobs. try to spin That's it. Right. Donald Trump takes a commanding lead in the latest CNN ORC poll where Trump received 36% of the support, opening a 20-point lead over his rival. Second place, Ted Cruz, 16%. Ben Carson, uh, he slides, continues the slide, falling to third with 14%, and Marco Rubio drops to 12 so that's your Republican wow. scorecard. Hillary Clinton keeps moving further from Bernie Sanders' reach. A new Gallup poll out today Come reveals on, Bernie. the former Secretary of State has further increased her favorability rate over the Vermont senator, rising eight points from late September and early October to secure a 21-point lead in favorability. Now 76% of Democrats say they have a favorable opinion of Clinton, while uh. only 18% say they don't. Do you think that has to do with Bernie Sanders' hernia operation? No, that was a one-day okay. outpatient. Okay, I was just checking. It was planned. I mean, I'm not a political scientist. It was a sign of weakness, so. It was. Totally. His, his PR people like, it was planned, he's back on the yeah. trail. Hey, Bernie, can Don't you pick up it. that really heavy box for me? <laughs> use your knees. <laughs> Don't use your back. Oh, that's sad. So it's interesting. Also, I don't know if this is good news or bad news. Well, let me tell you. British Arena Rock Act Coldplay. Yes. Have reportedly been confirmed as the performer for the Super Bowl. This is fantastic news. Now, question. Hmm? You watch the first half of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. People running into each other, all sort of aggression. <laughs> and just, uh, yeah. And then this happens. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? No, you know what? It's perfect. No. Coldplay is perfect. You know why it's perfect? No, no. Because they are they're, they they create this loving, peaceful harmony, which America will need no. by January As, uh, or February. Whatever. I will most likely flip over to the Puppy no. Bowl. Watch puppies playing football. That's more. They, they have more upbeat songs than that. Uh, and that, they, they only get to play uh, like two or three. A lot of the songs end up sounding like that, though. And my wife's like, I like it. I do too. I, Your wife is brilliant. And then she probably, she didn't add, but I, when I heard that she said she liked it, it's because she hears it in elevators. 
That's where you hear Coldplay. Whatever. It's in the elevator. You this, don't know what you're The so-called about. Golden Super Bowl, because it's the 50th, yeah. will take place February 7th in Santa Clara. So mm. San Francisco, Coldplay will release their next studio album, blah, blah, blah. This blah, is blah. cool. Huge. No, I think it's not it's good. The it's a bad choice. Ever. Bad choice. It's a great choice. And we got a great, uh, great interview coming up. One of the things I wanted to do on the show is I want – here's what I found is really fascinating. If I could just sit down with anybody – and talk about your job, it, it just is fascinating to me. So we're starting a new series on the show called A Day in the Life. And that's what we're calling it today. That could change tomorrow. We're going to start with a man named Trace Eddington. When we come back, we're going to get into an interview with Trace. Trace is a public address announcer. His job is to be the voice at like the arena at a football game for BYU or for their basketball games. And we're just going to talk to him about his job and what it's like to be an arena announcer it's just a fascinating idea, and we're going to start going through different uh, different jobs, different fields, um, so you get a feel for what's going on with others. Anyway, interesting stuff. Stick with us. A fun interview with Trace Eddington, BYU's public address announcer at BYU Football and BYU Basketball. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've got a great guest and, and a fun guest um, to talk to. Now, do you know what a public address announcer is? Okay. Now, how about that voice announcing your favorite basketball or football game? If you've ever been to a game and there's some guy, the BYU Cougars will be starting with quarterback, whatever. Okay. That voice that gets you pumped up, cheering for your team, that's your PA, your public address announcer. Today, we have BYU's public address announcer for BYU football, BYU basketball. His name is Trace Eddington, and uh, he's been announcing for basketball for now 18 years. Is that right, Trace? This is my 18th season. That's you're, correct. You're yeah. getting old. I, yeah. I see my kids in the other room, and they remind me every day. Yeah, Dad, you're old. But you just barely started announcing for football. I did. It's my first season after doing basketball for a long time. Uh, in fact, uh, the announcer before me for football, he and I started the same year back in 1998. Are you serious? Him doing he, football he just and me couldn't doing take basketball. it. He's like, I got to get out of this. This is killing me. <laughs> They're driving him crazy. I, I, I don't know. But an opportunity came up, and, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I think it's awesome. Now, Trace, you are a, you're a, you're a manager, a marketing and communications manager at LDS Philanthropies. That's correct. So those are the fundraisers that raise money for the university. Is that how yeah, that works? absolutely. Every university across the country has what, yeah. what in, in non-church parlance is a is a development office. Right, right. We're, in effect, the development office for BYU. But so, we also do that for the other BYU campuses in okay. Idaho and Hawaii, as well as at least business college. So you do it, uh, you do it, you do a job every day, and then at night you turn yeah. into the public address announcer. Yeah, I put on uh, put on my cape and uh, and run into run into action. Yeah, I do. I I, I would love to do this full time. Yeah, but, uh, there's I mean, no, yeah, it's there's like, no money in it. It's right. it's something you do that's that's fun and you enjoy it because you love it. Is so so tell me what your day looks like when you've got a game. What what happens? I mean, to me, it's you're not just an announcer. I mean, you you got to have your head on and you've got to you've really everyone's listening to you. Twenty thousand people or whatever or listening to your commands. Sure. Well, 
you know, when you put it that way, that sounds kind of intimidating. It's but scary. I, you know, the reality is, is if I'm doing my job well, everybody leaves the arena having had a great time and never having thought once about me. Right. Um, That's true. Huh? It, you don't want to be. Yeah, I'm known. not the show. Mm-hmm. I am not in any way the reason anybody comes to the game except maybe my wife. Yeah, um, she's and, like, I love you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my job is to just clearly articulate information for the crowd, help them understand what's going on, who's checking into a game in basketball, who made the shot, what the call was as far as, a, you know, when there's fouls called. It's basically providing information. And then the important thing, you know what, everybody thinks well, it's this big booming voice. You know, right. and my voice is okay. I don't have a super deep, you yeah. know, meet me on the street. No one would know that I'm a PA announcer. It's really about being able to clearly read the advertisers. Money drives everything, you know. That's so, what it is. You're a commercial guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so what radio outs, tends to be, right? Yeah. During timeouts, I've got to read whatever the paid advertisements are. And if the advertisers aren't happy with the way I do that, if it's not clear, if the audience can't hear it and understand it, then then I'm not going to be doing this very long. That's true. I, so, I, you know, I've never thought of that. And, yeah. and then the activities they have, the sure. free throw contests or whatever. Yeah. You're, but you're really – you're just there to – pitch. Well, that, that's part of it. I mean, that's certainly. the money side, but you also have to make sure we get the athletes announced. I and... want good information, but I also, I hope that I'm able to influence the crowd in a positive way. Sure. You know, when something good is happening, especially in basketball, as, as you know, people are hitting three-pointers and, you know, getting a block on the other end and, and the excitement is building, um, you know, the way I call the the shots and the things adds to it. And, you know, if, if I were just sitting there saying, well, three-pointer, Jim or Fredette, nobody, yeah. that just yeah. puts them to sleep. So. How often do you how often do you don't make an announcement on every play? Well, with basketball, I try to announce who made the basket every time. Oh, do so you when really? we come down, uh, you know, this season, Nick Emery puts up a shot. He hits it. I'll say, you know, three pointer, Nick Emery. You know, loud I didn't know you do it every basically. shot. That's yeah. great. Football is a it's a different animal. Yeah, you know, is I'm it? doing it this year for the first time, and it's it's really interesting. I have to you know say down and distance, how far the play went, who the pass was from and to, who made the tackle. So there's a lot more Holy on every cow. play that has to be you know relayed to the fans. That's why your kid, yeah, you need your son to be the spotter. Yeah, my son's one of my. I get two spotters, and he's one of them, and and it's they're invaluable. They've got their their binoculars, uh, kind of helping me know who made the tackle in the middle of the pile when nobody can tell. Do you sense? I, do you sense more pressure? Um, at the football game than the basketball game, there's like three times more people watching. I sure, guess. not so much because of the size of the audience. Um, although now that you pointed that out, I'm sure that would be an issue for. <laughs> Sorry no. to ruin no. it for you. <laughs> um, more because of just the the sheer amount of information I have to oh, you I have to relay. Through. Yeah, and where I've been doing basketball for 18 years, honestly, right. I mean, it's I, I show up and it's just second nature. I don't worry about it. But football is a little more preparation. There's a lot more names, uh-huh. a lot more Polynesian I'm or, not, or yeah, challenging pronunciation names, hard. and and so football takes a little more preparation. Do you sit down with the TV guys and work on the names? Do you ever hang out with them? And because they they're doing it full time, sure, talking sure. all the time. No, no, we don't really interact. They have different areas of the press box yeah. there. They're elitist. I understand. <laughs> I know them all. No, they're, they're, all... T- they're terrific. But uh, I, I usually sit down with the sports information director from the visiting team. Okay. And and just kind of run through the names, make sure I've got them correctly. BYU's. I you know hopefully have learned by the first yeah. game pretty well. How do you not get your uh, just your excitement? Like if I was all pro BYU and they were coming back, sure. How do you not get taken over with your excitement and yeah. just worry about? 
the fun instead of the announcing. You know, it's it's challenging. I'm I've been a BYU fan forever. I uh, we moved here when I was ten years old back in the late seventies. Oh, so right in the heart of when yeah. Lavelle Edwards yeah. and the Cougars are really starting to to be terrific. And I, in fact, the day we moved to to Orem, Utah, we drove in. It was this month. It was November of nineteen seventy eight. And it was on a Friday night in the U-Haul from California, Holy and the snow cow. was falling. So the next day, we stayed at my grandfather's house. The next day, we go to our new house. I'm 10, so I'm not really big enough to, to help unpack everything. And it's snowing like crazy. So my grandpa says to my parents, you know, why don't I take Trace, and I'll, we'll run to the game. I've got tickets. So my very first game was my first day in Utah in November. I believe it was against San Diego State. And, and it was Mark Wilson and BYU won, and, and my fandom was born on that really? day. So back to your point, I, I, I love this team. I love everything about BYU athletics. I got my undergraduate degree here. I yeah. work in in many ways in support of the university, and so when I first started with basketball, I wanted to I wanted to kind of you know look funny at the refs when I didn't agree with the right. call. I wanted to you know stand and cheer and those kind of things. So you kind of learn quickly. Like, that you ever like say, that's not on. my role? Yeah, you're like yelling <laughs> over the radio well, and over I, the announcement. I've not done that yet. I've heard uh, horror stories of other announcers who leave the mic open. I haven't had that experience yet. Knock on wood. Uh, but oh, yeah, wow. it's it's a challenge to to kind of overcome that. But I've just settled in. I understand uh-huh. what my role is now. Is it? Um, I mean, really, you're a support role, but really, too, they. People, there's some people that want to know. So who who made that basket? Right. Who made that basket? Sure. So you've got to be fast. Yep. Do you ever do you ever just blow it? Just make big mistakes? You know, I I, I mean, hope not. I don't recall any major ones. That stand out. Every now and then, you know, in basketball, the challenge is when you've got two or three guys going up for a rebound on a missed shot, and a hand hits the ball, yeah. and it goes in, and you're trying to figure out, okay, who Whose was, hand that? was that? Was it even the offensive player? Or was yeah. it defensive? And so you do your best. I sit right next to the score. Yeah, I was wondering because then you can look over and say, "Oh, okay." So they yeah. gave those points. And he and I communicate back and forth. He'll ask me sometimes, "Who did you see with that?" Or he's writing down from the last play yeah. if it's a quick, fast break. Oh, who made that basket? And, and so we'll have some back and forth. That it's it's got to be hard in football because you're up in the booths, right? Yeah. But yeah. on the court, you're down on the court. Yeah, basketball, you're right there in the action. You're right close. You can hear everything, yeah. and that's really nice. Football, you're a lot more removed. I'm up on the very the third floor, the very top floor of the the press box. Oh wow! And I'm all the way down on one end. I'm near the about the 20-yard line on the south really? end. And so, honestly, the seats aren't great yeah. uh, for watching the game. Um, so you're a little more disconnected. And and so I really, I, I truly rely on my spotters. They, I bet if, you do. if they're feeding me bad information, nobody knows it. I just sound wrong. Right. I sound like I'm bad. Do you, so. do you end up, um, I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, I guess you can't make too big of a mistake, but there's also got to be moments where you don't know what's going on. The refs are not knowing what's going on. Sure. They're figuring out a call. Do you just stay quiet or do you I just do. say we're waiting for information? What yeah, you- usually when there's a when there's a penalty marker, I'll, I'll say, you know, a penalty flag on the play and then wait for the referee to make the call. He has the microphone yeah. uh, that he'll activate and sometimes you can't hear him very well up in the box. Right. So I don't I hope the fans can hear the, the referee mic, but I don't hear him very often. Do you I do you personally um, sit there and think, I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh, all the time. Like this is all the time. This Pinch is myself. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, for somebody like I say, who's who's lived here in Utah County for the most part for over thirty years. Yeah, you know, I was cheered for this team, as followed this team, was a student here. This is great for me to be have even just a small oh, role yeah. in supporting this university. This way is a dream come true. Well, for and me. it must be a dream for your kids because can they just come with you to the game? Well, uh, I get a couple of seats for football and for basketball, um, and so they'll use those occasionally. My one son, like I mentioned, does uh, work right. with me in the booth as a spotter. I don't have a spotter for basketball. It's not really necessary. 
Uh, but we also have our own family season tickets for football, and so yeah, we've yeah. we've been going for a long time. My, in fact, my youngest son, he may be the only one in the family who can challenge me as far as BYU fandom. He he lives and breathes really the Cougars. Yeah, would he want to take your role, your job? I think all three your... of my sons have expressed an interest. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah. I tell them, well, you know what? Then the time comes, I'm sure there'll be a tryout, and you yeah. certainly can warm up your uh, voice. There son. you go, because <laughs> <laughs> there's really not a handbook, is there? To this, you have to just you make it up as you go. Yeah, in fact, the very first time I did basketball was the first time I'd ever done PA. And here I'm at a Division One school. I hadn't started doing high school. Unbelievable. Uh, I had a background in television broadcasting. I was a sports anchor at a little small market up in Idaho yeah. for a few years yeah. right after college. And so I'd had that experience. I've been in arenas all my life. But, it, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I mentioned earlier that people should go home and never having realized yeah. I was there. I realized I've been going to these games all this all these years and never really paid attention to PA, and now I'm going to do a game next week. I better figure out what I'm doing. So. Do you uh, do, is your voice recognized? Not very often. No, I, I don't because like know. some of those guys, you can eventually recognize sure. after years sure. of doing it. Yeah. Well, you got a Bob Shepard or a, uh-huh. you know, a Vince Scully or somebody right. who's been doing it forever. And I grew up in L.A., so I, you know, we had Dick Enberg and yeah. Vince Scully. We had some of the greats. Harry yeah. Carey. Oh, yeah. Was that his name? Uh, Harry, Harry Carey was in Chicago yeah. with the Cubs. Wasn't he great? Yeah, fantastic. But uh, every now and it's usually not when I meet someone for the first time. They don't say, oh, your voice sounds familiar. Yeah. But uh, people in my ward. Uh-huh. Uh, who don't know? Maybe who've moved in? I've lived in this in this well, my LDS congregation. Yeah. I've lived there for sixteen years. You and so when and you... somebody new moves in, and you know they'll they'll hear me conducting a meeting or something, and they'll say, "Now, God, your voice sounds so familiar." There's something to me. About do I know trace. you from somewhere? Have I met you before? <laughs> his, so I'll his mention, voice. He's so heavenly, isn't <laughs> well, that? I don't think that's ever been the, the word they, used. Is that but, not uh, what they're saying? No, not so much. Um, it's. Uh, I think it's a. It's a really. I think it's a cool thing too for your family. Just a tradition. It's a tradition yeah. and. It's such a rare thing. It's got it. Does it impact your life? Like you've got because you got to go to every game. Yeah, every home game. Do you ever get a vacation? Only when the when it's the off season. Because you you, you've now picked up football. It's a full year thing. So I have six uh, on average six home games for football, and in addition, there's a spring and a fall scrimmage they have me be at. And then basketball averages from the Cougar tip-off to the end of the season, 18 to 20 home games. Wow. And so it's – there are work. I, I love it. By the end of basketball, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying the breather and getting my weeknights back a little right. bit. But, but I, you know, I, who would complain? When you're down on the court and Dave Rose walks by, do you ever, like, give him some input? Hey, like, oh yeah, hey, hey, all Rose. the time. <laughs> hey, Rose. <laughs> no, uh, you know we'll we'll chat a little bit with the assistant coaches beforehand when they come up to mark starters and things. But uh, Coach Rose is busy. I try not to. He, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't have time to. to you don't want to irritate no, too much. No, you you do. You almost not. You want to not be seen, right? right. You want to not yeah. be noticed. Yeah, that's that's the hope. That's really cool. That's and your wife, what is she? I mean, is she she's supportive? Does she see this like a hobby? I mean, it's a job. You make money, I'm sure. But is it? Does she see this like a hobby, like hoping you'll grow out of it, or <laughs> is she into no, it? No, we've been married 22 years, so she knows that sports is a part of what I enjoy. And, yeah. and she enjoys it. She can kind of take it or leave it, but she, she loves to come and hear me and be yeah. supportive of me. Um, and certainly she cheers for BYU, yeah. but uh, no. Does she ever just say, you nailed that one? You nailed that one. Name. She thinks I can do no wrong. See, that's the beauty of, what of, a great of doing. Life. You know, and the thing I've learned is in doing this or, or you know television sports beforehand. It doesn't matter how bad I am; 
somebody thinks I'm great, and it's usually my family. Yeah, no, it's mom or it's And your it doesn't wife. matter how good you are. Uh-huh. There's somebody out there who can't That's stand so you and thinks you're terrible. So. Isn't it great when your mom calls and like, I loved your show, <laughs> or I loved your – that was a great yeah. announcement. Well, they embarrass me because they, they like to – when we meet somebody for the first time, well, this is my husband, and he does this. And they yeah. every, other people seem to make a bigger deal out of it than I'm often comfortable with, but it's, I it's fun. I think it's fun, too, to just – to be able to get out. I think it would be fun to get out with the people and – like make a big deal about someone's birthday or an announcement of like an sure. award that somebody's getting. That yeah. in fact we do that at work. We'll have a you know a work conference or something, and and we're announcing new employees. And we just had one last week, and we've had five new employees join us since the last time. And so they had me kind of introduce them as if it were a basketball starting yeah. lineup kind of thing, and and everybody seemed to think cool. that was fun. Do you have a do you have a signature phrase? No, I don't really think so. You know what? Try let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. See how that goes. You know, Cougar fans, it's time seems to be Cougar fans, the one. It's time. You know, oh, yeah. Anytime they're, they're coming out onto the court and we welcome them back to the field. Oh, I so. think it's way cool. It's I, I want to be you when I grow up, Trace. <laughs> I really do. Uh, Trace Eddington's his name and, uh, you know, public address announcer is his game, my friends. Uh, good stuff. If you want to hear more from Trace, all you got to do is go to a BYU football or a BYU basketball game. When are you going to do baseball? You know, I've been asked a couple times you if I was it. willing, but that's but a the, long season. Well, the start and the start times are tough. Where oh, I've got earlier, a full time huh? job, so yeah. a lot of them are three or four in the afternoon. Yeah. So this is probably about the level of what I can do. Yeah. I, I've I've told Tom Homo though, if he ever wants to just have me do every sport they have and, and mm-hmm. pay me what my employer does, I'll uh, I'll come to work for BYU full time. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I don't think he's going to take me up. The on voice that. It, first now you're the voice of the Cougars. Someday you can do the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. There you go. There you go. This music wouldn't that be fun? Word. Good stuff, <laughs> Trace Eddington. Thank Thanks for being here. That was a pleasure. Thanks for bringing your family, and uh, and just thanks for being the voice of the Cougars. That's really cool. If you want to follow Trace, you can follow him on Twitter, at Cougar Voice, at Cougar Voice. Pretty easy way to get a hold of him. Uh, we'll take a break, my friends. Come back more right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, hey, in studio, two of the craziest producers you've ever done seen. But we are on radio, so you can't see them. Their names, Leanna Tan, Caitlin Thomas. We call them the petite producers. That's what they like to be called. We've tried other names, but uh, they didn't like those. So let's just go with the producers. By the way, two of our producers, they're behind the scenes. They're the ones responsible for getting all of uh, our guests lined up. Many times they write intros, sometimes even an outro, and and on occasion their information's accurate. So we it, make the show what it is, really. Wow. He's trying to say we make the show fantastic. And by the way, you two are are an interesting pair because yeah. you're both broadcast students. We are. Yes, we just got accepted into the program. In Did October. you? You got accepted. Yeah, we, we did. Both did. They, they accepted they, us. Wow. They want. We us. set the bar high. You. Wow. Yeah. That's a. I mean, that's amazing. Like that's surprising. Thank you. Man. In a good way. I mean, like you're fantastic. You do. <laughs> I'm like uh-huh. that's really rude, but, but thank it just you. seems surprising that it it, it happened. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. we like to bring the producers on because a we want to give them some uh, time so everyone can get to know them, and b we like to uh, just see if what you guys can teach me, what you're learning, you know, your generation to mine. What what do you want to talk about today? 
Well, due to the fact that we've both been accepted into the broadcasting program quite recently, we've yeah. been talking a lot about how we're going to have to develop our own on-screen or over-the-microphone voice yeah. in yes. order to make us more interesting yes. so we can become unique. Exactly. So we've been looking up articles and doing some research on male versus female voices, mm-hmm. particularly on the radio, yes. since this is the Matt Townsend radio the show. Matt Townsend show. And what we found was actually pretty interesting because I think the whole gender versus gender thing is a really big thing for our generation, especially when you've got Hollywood stars involved in the wage gap war and you've got tons of different gender roles being flip-flopped around from what it was traditionally been. So we thought this would be an interesting topic to kind of talk about this week. That's cool. And we found, in fact, that it's not quite as split or black and white as maybe you would have thought it was. Male voices versus female voices. Well, let's just start with the fact that everybody has a voice. Right. Whether they're male or female. Good job. Yes. Good so job, Matt. It but seems is, pretty even. But there's differences in what people reaction like. people react to when right. they hear a female versus a male. Right. So people prefer Do they cringe at your voice, voice. Matt? So they, we they found, prefer the male voice. We got voice. some people saying they're cringing at your voice. So we wanted to know why. Okay, okay. That's what you're doing. <laughs> so we found this article on voicebunny.com. It was a blog post called, Should You Go With a Male or Female Voiceover? Okay. And it says that 48% of respondents said that males sounded more forceful, while 49% of those surveyed said that gender made no difference. Hmm. But 46% that f- said that female voices sounded more soothing, while another 46% that gender said That's that gender Siri, made no difference. Okay. So, Siri is a girl. So, so, so male is more forceful, but female it's is more soothing. soothing. And so, yeah. yeah, like Leanna said that. Well, let me, let me just play one. This is a voice of a female. You tell me if, if she sounds soothing. You're soaking in it. What you're, did she even say? She said, you, you're soaking in it. That sounded really soothing. Let's let's try it again. You're soaking in it. Isn't that, <laughs> that was soothing? you, Matt. No. That was you. It was That's you. Madge from um, Madge. the Palmolive commercial, I believe, back in the 50s. Yeah. See, that's so interesting because we found that if you're trying to sell cars or talk about computers, anything mm-hmm. technology-related, you want a male voice. But yes. if you're talking about beauty products or going yes. on a vacation or donating money, they're usually going to be female voices. Female voices because those are more soothing. They're more soothing. Yeah. So they give you the reaction that, oh, I really like that. I want to buy it. Oh. But cars and computers, right? You want this yeah. idea that I'm going to go out and get it. So That's you use fantastic. a male voice for being forceful. So we have been listening. I mean, I know you think that we don't listen to the show, but yeah. like, I kind of do. Okay. I do listen to the And so I think I have mastered the Matt Townsend voice. Okay. Are you serious? Let's um, do it. Well, we have okay. a list of your catchphrases. Okay, here. cool. This All is All right, great. this is what we're gonna. I didn't even gonna... know I had catchphrases. Okay, <laughs> you do. Okay. All right, we'll teach you. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. All right, ready, Caitlin. This now, is are you, you going to try this, to do them forceful? This is our mouth, Matt. Townsend we're going to try to be a, a man. Okay, we're going to try to be Matt Townsend. Forceful Matt yeah. Townsend voice. Perfect, ready? Perfect. Ready? One, two, three. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. How's that? Yeah. Wow. We're pretty good. Is that what I sound like? Do I sound like that? I don't know. You say it. It did. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. No, you say, welcome back, friends. That's how it's written. You have to, you you do it. Welcome back, friends. (laughs) I don't remember doing that I don't recommend using that I don't think that, I don't think I've used that. But it's it's interesting because I was looking at this article on uh, voice123.com, and it talks about how female, or people like female voices that are lower frequency and that are breathier and... And that they make the ooh sound like a goose. So I'm gonna try to yeah, do. Let's hear you do I'm that. I'm gonna do your. And then intro. you're gonna have to. Okay, do okay, it. okay. So so lower. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side. Yeah, that was pretty good. Man, that sounds like a sounds like a bad phone call. <laughs> okay, so now, Matt, we're going to have you try and okay. see if you might be better if you use a breathier. Okay. <laughs> My name is Matt. Yoda, that's your Yoda voice. That's Yoda, that's not okay, good person okay. is. Can you do a female voice, though? Try and be a girl. Uh, see, the problem is going high with me. I've lost my high register ever since the accident. But I'll try. I, I, I can't see because there's this, this middle area I can't reach. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I sound like uh, you just you sound like a mouse. You, yeah, that was. No, I don't I know really, if that was. I, you sound oh, like somebody's tickling okay, you or something. Try not to sound like a girl, but maybe try and make your voice sound soothing. You know. Hey everybody. Oh my. Hey, hey everybody. No, try this one as we're at it. Okay. I want you guys to try one. Okay. Yes. Hey everybody, welcome to the baseball game. Hey that, everybody, welcome to the baseball hey, game. Hey everybody. The Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs in the house, everybody. Yeah, you're not getting it. Stick, See, that, I don't think it's that, that is the real radio voice. If you're looking for a radio voice, you've got to use deep, deep, deep. He's going deep. Inflection. Yeah, deep. I guess I'm a sports broadcasting. You hear that a lot, right? He shoots, he scores, and goal. hop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Let's just say this, ladies. Uh, I wouldn't bank on a radio career. Um, I, if I were you, you're I literally might, saying that over the radio. I might go more into I don't know. Better watch it. Blogging. All right, I but even nice. even on TV, in yeah. TV broadcasting, you still have to have a voice. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I learned from one of my professors that if they like your face but mm-hmm. they don't like your voice, they will make you change your voice to what they feel matches. No, your absolutely. Face. You Look know, at I, this. I, that's that's my life. They I, loved my face. They loved my body. <laughs> And my voice, they needed to change. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll so, so Matt, what is like, what, can you give us your talking voice versus your Matt Townsend radio show yeah, voice? Yeah, so this I is my radio show voice. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend show. I've never oh, heard you. That's my radio voice. My talking voice is like, hi. Oh, so there he goes. With oh, my you. Mickey Mouse. He's here with us. Well, I heard that sometimes That's people <laughs> people like prefer an accent, maybe a British or something. Mm-hmm. Can you do it? Top of the morning to you. Okay, that you already say that every day. We'll take a break. Put and another when we shrimp come back, onto Barbie. When we come back, we'll throw it down to our good buddies at Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, I like that. Do I sound like Siri? Yeah. I think we should do How that. About, it sounds international. Welcome back, friends. I think we might. To the Matt I think Townsend we might gain a broader audience if we talk like this. All right. I, I think my voice is soothing. This Can is you just do product. really fast for me? Because Liana actually is fluent in Japanese. Uh, just do a little Japanese. Do one of those lines in Japanese. I don't know how to do a Japanese accent. but like, No, just, speak, just speak. speak Filipino? Oh, Matt Townsend show Okay, yeah, and you do Philippines. Good. Magandang umaga mga tao. Welcome sa mga Matt Townsend Show. Salamat mm. po. Well, that is so cool. The international acclaimed, <laughs> internationally acclaimed Matt Townsend Show. Well, we thank you, producers. Liana. Hi. Konnichiwa. Um, doitashimashite. Thank you. Caitlin, <laughs> namaste. <laughs> I don't know. 
anything in Filipino. Uh, Caitlin Thomas, Liana Tan, thanks for being here. You're the best ever. Bye, guys. Thanks for the update. And, uh, again, have fun with your blogs and your blogging career. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be throwing it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Cold play for you. Ah! What better tribute than to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Brian Logan, Spencer Linton, and a little cold play. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Hello, Matthew. What do you think? Cold play, Super Bowl halftime. Super Bowl halftime. Uh, Spencer is pretty fired up about I'm amped that. up, dude. They're my band, bro. They're my band, too. And Terry South, our producer, Thinks it's they're not going to be able to cut it. I thought that too. I, I think they're they needed not somebody. Be able to cut they needed it. somebody no. like Justin it's, Bieber. It's not on. hip enough. It's not. There's not enough power behind it. Come on. <laughs> Have you not seen Yellow being played in concert? It's tons of energy. Is that that? That's. This is the big drop. This is. It's going to get. It's going to be big. I already have a feeling. Do, do you not agree, Spencer? I think Coldplay is going to kill it. I do too. <laughs> now, Brian, you're, you're. Oh, did you hear? You did, Terry Brian just is Justin Bieber or bust. I know he's a Bieber. He's a believer. But here's the deal. But Terry just said what what Coldplay is going to kill is the Super Bowl. Yes, I am changing the channel. Oh my heavens! Actually, actually, you know what? I'll probably leave the channel on, but I'll probably go eat and go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's what I'll probably do. Well, at least it'll help you get through that. <laughs> That's right. Motivation. <laughs> hey, uh, okay, listen, to. listen. John Lennon. Uh-huh. Not John Lennon, sorry. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney uh-huh. was not a good Super Bowl fit. No. No. No, it didn't work. No. Okay, Coldplay will kill it. It will kill it. Just go watch one of their concerts live on YouTube, and you will see. They have the energy you know, you watch concerts on YouTube now. Yeah, you totally can. Go watch. Go go watch Coldplay. They got to pay for that. No, <laughs> it's free. You really need to get online more, Brian. I know. I have some, I have issues. I just learned how to do, um, send an email like three years ago. So, <laughs> you know what, Spencer? You need to tutor him. Hey, uh, we missed you at the at the uh, family party last night. The the biz, the company party, uh, Bry. You didn't show up. Uh, I wasn't invited. Spencer showed up, but he left early. Spencer, my wife was so mad because she wanted to meet you. Oh, man. I know. She, the whole time she's like, where's Spencer? I want to meet Spencer because he's funny. Blame it on the month-old baby. I know. We heard the baby cry. I'm so glad that, you took that, that baby. That wasn't us. That wasn't us. There was another new baby there. That was not us. I like, swear it was us. you. Okay. It's not us. Because <laughs> your baby was loud. Oh. See, my wife um, is uh, nine months pregnant. We're actually going to have our second child. Are on, you really? On Wednesday, yeah. Cute. A, a C-section. What? What's um, a boy or girl? A boy. Oh. Yeah, I'm kind of sad. I would have. Little girl. Brian. Mm-hmm. Number two. It's number. Two. Is that what you're going to call him? Number two. No, we're going to call him Arlo. But I'll probably just call him Low because I don't really like Arlo. You know what you could call him? Arr. 
See, that's what I, I don't. That's what I don't want. I like I like Arlo jokes and stuff. But you don't want to call him low. But you know what? What's the, what's the movie? The Good Dinosaur. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we yeah we saw that and it made me feel a little bit better, kind of sort of uh, about the name, just because because the main character's name is Arlo. Oh, cute. And and uh, yeah. Hey, uh, if you haven't seen that, I would recommend that everyone bring a box of tissue because I bawled. Did you really? Oh my gosh! You you yes. cried through the I, good dinosaur. So 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 there's like two movies I ever cried on. Uh, one like random one, and then The Lion King. Right? Yeah. The Lion King. If you have not cried during The Lion King, you don't have a soul. I don't care what nobody says. <laughs> now. It was it was with the Lion King. You, I just had like a like a, maybe one tear come down, maybe you know two. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the drops. same eye, on the same eye, right? Oh yeah, yeah. One eye. For 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 the good dinosaur, <laughs> I had multiple tears in, wow. in, in, in both eyes, and I had the snot bubbles. Did you have snot bubbles? I it was hate deep, that, man. It and were you like? <laughs> I, I had to lean over to my wife and wipe the snot bubbles on her jacket. She was. She, usually she gets mad, but oh she, she was heavens. laughing so much at me. She you know was what? even crying. I was like, you aren't you, you don't have a soul. Brian, let me give you some advice, man. Do not go watch Old Yeller. <laughs> it would that probably kill you. You'd be dehydrated and you would die. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, <laughs> not doing it. That is... I that is that's interesting because we just did a review of uh, the Good Dinosaur and nobody told me it was going to just be a tearjerker, but now I. Well, I see, know. you see, there is. I mean, it was pretty packed because we saw it on 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 Thanksgiving Day in the, in the morning, and you know, I was kind of looking around and I was like, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Think about football! <laughs> think about something! Man you know, up! You know, yeah, do something!" And then when I saw the other dads, especially the moms, uh, you know, start, see, start crying and it changed him, then I was you. like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. It's, it, I'm all in, man. No, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going in. Wait till and I just let it happen. Wait till you see your grandchild someday. Mm. You'll probably be too old to cry. I think Christ will be back by then. So, Well, let's hope. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah, never know. At this rate. Arlo's the name of the baby. Um, Jet was I, – I saw you carrying him, Spencer. Mm-hmm. But – you then sat at the back of the room, and then you guys left early. I mean, it's just like you were just there for dinner. I'm sorry. My wife, okay, he's on a feeding schedule, and she's yeah. like, okay, we need to time it so we get there just right when dinner starts, mm-hmm. and then we'll stay Which as you long did. as we can. You nailed it. <laughs> and so. then, then you left early. <laughs> I'm sorry. I about tracked you down during when you were getting your plate because my wife was like, I really want to meet Spencer. You should have done it. I think she's got a crush or something. Bring her by the studio, Matt. I know. She, I she's think, welcome know, anytime. Well, let me tell you what it was. It's when you got me that beanie from Deseret First Credit Union, and I now wear it. I wear it to bed. You're welcome. And I told her, you're the one that gave it to me, and I think, you know, I think she likes it. Well, she said I look younger. You took your game to another level, Matt. <laughs> Actually, you took my game to another <laughs> level. Hey, uh, did you watch the Packers game last night? Nope. I, I love the bit. tweet from Tanner Mangum what after he, the Hail what did Mary he is completed. He said, <gasps> "What is it with number twelve throwing Hail Marys?" Seriously, this welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah, that was. I incredible. did it first, Aaron. Right. It's incredible. I think it's just the ability that really is what BYU needed against Utah was the Packers were able to box out and get that ball. <laughs> That's just my sports analysis. That was an ultimate fail by the Lions defense. That was, I There mean, was an unmarked man just I like know. floating back to the goal line. Mm-hmm. 
That's, I don't understand. I would have had Calvin Johnson out there. You wouldn't have let that happen. Yeah, Are you put kidding? your 6'5 wide receiver out there. Come on, yeah. Man. Like, we did, we did what we had. Who did we have? I can't remember when I played, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if I was BYU's defense, I'd have Mitch Matthews out there. Yeah, for sure. Dennis Pitta. Oh, that's what we had. I think we had Dennis. Who um, you you know that show thing that you guys do? Mm-hmm. Are, are you doing it today? Again, we are doing it. You're still doing mm-hmm. it. Yes. Wow. And it is compelling. Compelling. Mm-hmm. It can't be today. as compelling. I mean, it's got to be more compelling because Brian's here. But you had a big guest lineup yesterday. <laughs> well, we've got BYU Utah, which is now quickly becoming what many believe will be a reality in the Las Vegas Bowl. Are you kidding? Last week it was a shot in the dark at best. And now it could happen. We are learning that different bowl games that have Pac-12 ties are passing on Utah for whatever reason. They don't want them. And so now the Utes are kind of falling to the Vegas Bowl. Wow. But even the Vegas Bowl is holding out some hope that maybe a, another team with some more national cachet can come in. Yeah, but they like will USC never. or UCLA. But will they sell more tickets? Everyone in Utah would go to that game in Vegas. That's true. The whole the whole state would go. Yeah, yes, but it's about ratings and That's national true. cachet. Yeah, they got the TV ABC. deals. Right, it's on ABC. Oh, that would be incredible. So our question today is: What would do more for BYU nationally? Playing Utah in a rivalry game that, yes, the college football diehards know about, but yeah. for, the, for the average fan, would BYU Utah? Stick the way that BYU USC or BYU UCLA oh, would. Yeah, BYU USC would be really cool. Oh, it's amazing! It would be an amazing matchup. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with that. That's my vote. You're going to go with SC USC. Yeah. Mm. There yeah. are there are cases for both this year because Utah at one point was ranked number three in the country. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I would rather see BYU Utah, but I think USC would bode better, especially if they can go in and beat them, because. Utah struggled beating them, and this is USC. And the opportunity USC. is great mm-hmm. as USC. Yep. Okay, well that okay, that's, that's a great show right so there. There you go. That's yeah, the only John topic. John Beck on the show as well. He Sweet. played in two Vegas Bowls. We'll, we'll ask him about okay. it. Okay. Well, uh, it's another great show, boys. Have a great weekend, Brian. Good luck with Arlo. If I Thank don't you. see you before next Wednesday, I think I think I'm coming on. Hold on let me check my uh, Palm check, Palm check your calendar. Uh, I'm, I am coming okay. in on uh, the uh, Friday, okay. the 11th. Okay. Hey, say what's up to Mrs. Townsend for me. Matt. I will for sure. I'll have her call you tonight. Beanies for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a good one. Oh, fun. That's cool. Man, what if BYU plays Utah, their biggest rival in the world? But I don't know. BYU-USC, that'd be huge. I think UCLA, USC, or Utah, either one of them. And those would all be great. I'm going to go to that game. Oh, no, it's on the 19th. So it's that. Seems like a little early for a bowl game. I like my bowl games after Christmas. Make a mental note of that, will you, Ben? Will you write that down? Because I don't want to have any other problems with bowl games next year. Hey, um, did you you get it written down? Did you hear this? A man charged with assaulting deputies with eggs and potatoes. A Florida man was arrested Tuesday after deputies uh, with the Flagler... County Sheriff's Office said he threw food at them. Anthony Fennick, 20, is facing four counts of aggravated assault on a law officer, criminal mischief, loitering, and wasting food. Deputies, I added the wasting the food. Deputies in the area were investigating a report of loud banging noises near Fennick's residence around 10.30 p.m. when the food started to fly. 
Initially, Fennick approached the deputies and asked why they were there. After giving him an explanation, the deputies said Fennick thanked them and returned to his home. A short time later, half a potato was thrown at the deputies, landing behind one of their cruisers. Then an egg flew into the scene, hitting a cruiser and nearly hitting two of the deputies. They searched for the food assailant without luck, but found three more eggs, a potato, and a piece of fruit that had been thrown. Holy cow. That kid, that guy. When deputies continued their search, they reported finding Fennec nearby with an egg in his front pocket. Dude, drop the egg. Drop the egg. Don't make me tase you. <laughs> Don't make me scramble that egg there, buddy. How about an omelet? Let's make an omelet. Isn't that crazy? I mean, if you're going to get in trouble, you probably don't want to do it throwing food at a cop. Rob a bank or something. Just some advice from Dr. Matt. Hey, kids out there, don't throw it. This guy, though, you know, he's he's 20. He's still a kid. Remember, you don't mature until you're 25. Your brain doesn't. Uh, anyway, he's now held on $7,000 bond. And? Uh... They took his egg away. And he said, let go of my ego. Anyway, uh, we always like to end with a hero story. Here's the hero of the day. Happens to be uh, the friendly neighbors in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A three-year-old uh, Molly may have missed her birthday and Halloween, but she wasn't about to lose out on the candy. Molly had to stay in the hospital for 28 days after getting pneumonia But once she was released, the only thing on her mind was Halloween, right? So once that's in your head, you got to get out there and go trick-or-treating. All it took was a simple Facebook post, and within 15 minutes, there were 60, 60 houses of friends and neighbors all willing to host a trick-or-treater for one more night. Mother Stephanie Strait says Molly was stuck in bed and had a little energy while she was sick, But now that spunk she uh, was missing has found its way back. The little Rapunzel went out from house to house, picking up all the candy she almost missed out on. Some of the people even put out decorations and wore costumes to play along. How cool is that? The entire neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, take care of one little girl, cute little Molly. Uh, You know, Molly needed her. She needed her holiday. That truly is, when you think about it, the spirit of of all of the holidays, really, is the spirit of giving, the spirit of serving, and uh, and truly the, the joy that any of us can feel in serving anyone but uh, a little three-year-old dressed like Rapunzel. That's the show, my friends. Again, we can't do it without you. We're here every day to give you the tools, Monday through Friday, to, to live better, to live longer, love stronger, healthier, and, and grow, and to really, you know, connect with what's good in the world. We'll be back again Monday with more ideas, more tools right here. You can find us again on iTunes, on TuneIn. We're everywhere. You can go to byuradio.org to download the show. And until Monday, take care of each other, look after one another, and uh, make it a great one. We will talk again Monday.